Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Kenko, while you were obviously <laughs> grinding <laughs> Guatemalan beans, <laughs> you f- absolute fanny. I mean, and that's not being sexist. You could be a male fanny, you could be a female fanny, you could be called fanny. Yeah, I got. Uh, I went to get one of these. You are you drinking from that? Is it just for show? No, no. That I mean, that's the drip. It's just a V sixty pummel. Absolutely. Oh, fucking sorry. <laughs> Yeah, it's just a V60 pour of a cone <laughs> beast. So you put that on the top of the mug and you just pour it in, do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In so the where's top. the mellow birds go? <laughs> you put it at the top of the filter, <laughs> put a bit of paper around your mellow birds. Do you still dunk like digestives in it, though, do you? Um, Chocolate hobnobs, come on. It's not an animal. <laughs> no, I do eat biscuits, but at different times. Oh, you wanker. <laughs> you don't compromise your coffee, do you? I love it when you call me a wank. <laughs> I love it. Oh. I just knew you wouldn't dunk, dunk anything in there. There's no bourbons going in there. There's no, like... You can't dunk a bourbon. Are you mad? No. Of course you dunk a bourbon. It's got cream in it. You can't... It's the oh. best bit. Oh, you... No, with a, with a, with a bourbon. Yeah. Or a bourbon. Whoa, 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 yeah, bourbon. <laughs> Studying at the Sorbonne, and I eat bourbons <laughs> to keep me going, and I... <laughs> you take you take it apart and then you scrape off the cream in the middle with a knife. With your teeth? You that's separate. Not with your with you know, the teeth. You, you could, ah. I mean, you could do that with your teeth as well. Ah. Your top your top teeth, top. or you lick it. Yeah, you just keep licking it. Oh yeah, that's fine. I don't mind that at all. But you do yeah. not don't. But then I occasionally uh, scrape it off and I put that on the plate. And then I just eat. And what oh, I might it's a do fucking then, order. yeah. And then what I might do is I might do that with four or five bourbons. Oh yeah, bourbons <laughs> at the same time. 
and then I have a, what about a, a digestive? Of... <laughs> <laughs> then I have a then I have a, then I have a mound of that cream. Yeah, and then I eat that at the end as a treat. Wow! But I absolutely, <laughs> absolutely spray. wouldn't do that with a coffee in case in case it compromises the quince notes. <laughs> like if it dropped in there, say you were dunking a uh, caramel chocolate digestive, right? Yeah, and it dropped in your coffee. Would you go and get a spoon and fish it out and still drink the coffee? You would, wouldn't you? Um, no. Stir it I in. mean, you're, or do you leave it in there and dissolve? Then, drink, then drink that sort of porridgey digestive <laughs> at the end. Which is yeah, nice as well. I think I'd probably get a spoon, but you're asking me to. You know, this is a thought experiment yeah. that is just so out of the bounds of my reality. It's like quantum, like quantum physics. Right? Yeah, there's yeah. I mean, the tasting notes of this stuff. Tasting notes. It's coffee, mate. <laughs> Would you put coffee, mate, in it? <laughs> coffee mate. You know what? Coffee tastes nicer with coffee mate. And they're right. That is really <laughs> they're right. They're coffee right. does taste nicer with coffee mate. Ah, uh, next time you go into Nero or Costa and they say, What kind of milk? Coffee mate, please. Just coffee it mate, did please. it did give coffee a completely different taste, coffee mate, yeah. which I think I did prefer actually. And it also stayed hot because you weren't putting cold milk in it. That's a good point, yeah. I don't think anyone under the age of 30 will know what coffee milk is. <laughs> it's all right. It's a powdered white vegetable oil-based <laughs> milk substitute that makes coffee taste lush. That you'd have if, if say, if your fridge had broken. Or if you were camping. You'd use, or if or you your nan's house and there's no fridge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. If you didn't have a fridge, you'd use coffee. My nan had a pantry, mate. She had a pantry. Yeah. There was yeah. no fridge. There was a stone in the back of the pantry where she put the milk on to keep things cold. Mike's actually 100 years old. (laughs) (laughs) And also, I can remember all this as feels. (laughs) As far as the eye can see. The whole of Cardiff. (laughs) My nan, who was in service, you know, before the war and during the war, she said, love the old days. Missed, missed, like, you know, curtsy into the Lord of the Manor when passing a horse and trap. My grandmother often used to say, what did she used to say? I'm very pleased that I lived in my era and not yours. <laughs> I used to yeah. think, but the stories you tell me are all uniquely harrowing. <laughs> Why would you want more of that? <laughs> they love diphtheria and coal dust. <laughs> yeah. Underground explosions and stuff. And the, love, yeah, it? it was the fact that work was so dangerous. And the two were. Or just wars. demeaning. If it wasn't, you know. Yeah, if it wasn't literally. dangerous, it was demeaning. Emptying someone else's fucking bedpans out, whatever they do, I don't know. Yeah. It wasn't even one world war. Yeah, whereas what I do know is I, I, wet the, I just wet the bed. She works six and a half days a week, my nan. Yeah. <laughs> and she always remembers fondly the time when the lord of the manor that she was walk, working on, when she got ill the once, asked the, the cook to make my nan chicken soup. Didn't charge her for it. Didn't charge her for it, yeah. See? You should, get, you should get like a half day on a Sunday to go to Sunday school oh, or church. And that was it. What a lovely man. A lovely man. When I was ill, when he was ill, he asked the cook to make me chicken soup. God, he sounds like fucking Mother <laughs> Teresa now. So that you could get back to work quicker. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. This may not yeah. be entirely altruistic. Something I could, <laughs> something I could dr- drink whilst doing the housework. <laughs> I can hold the soup in one hand and the brush in the other. <laughs> I never look at those things from like the 50s and think, oh God, I wish I was alive. wish I was alive in the 50s. Then again, people look at us in 50 years' time, our grandkids, and think, Christ, imagine that. Imagine that, only having 4G. Wires everywhere. <laughs> Wires. You have to drive your own car. 
Yeah. No, no teleporters. You had to actually turn up for places. Well, they were still eating food, as opposed to this nutrition pill. Living on Mars was a pipe dream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they, well, they didn't have downloadable friendships. Because <laughs> people are so f- fucking lazy these days. Golly, an alien. And all the things you think the internet can be brilliant for ends up being just watching fucking TikTok, right? Yeah, In 50 years' story. time, this is what's going to happen. Everything will be exactly the fucking same, guaranteed. <laughs> Nothing will change at all. Logan Paul will be on his 19th title defence. <laughs> yeah, some other fucking pensioner. <laughs> but we haven't got to kick up the arse anymore, have we? There's nothing to do. People can eat. They've got a roof over their heads. They can go, to the, they can go and buy some cans down the pub. They can smoke weed. Even, just even the boffins just... are on TikTok now, so they're, they're not. Boffins are loving TikTok. They're not busy coming up with the, the inventions that will change our lives. The inventions will be other way, like you know, an invention recently was TikTok. Yeah, yeah, it'll be a faster TikTok. It's not fucking penicillin, is it? <laughs> Do you know what I mean it's just a, it's just a shorter shit way of doing something we already had. We already had Vine. That was six seconds. Twitter. I got a new invention. What is it? It's Twitter, but it's twice as many characters. That's not really an invention, is it? <laughs> What's the next great leap going to be? Artificial intelligence. They keep talking about that all the time. They say that is the 50s. I think if you showed... When that happens, by the way, we are fucked. <laughs> yeah, if... Oh, here we go. <laughs> it's gone from joyous to shitty straight up. I will not. I will not have a John robot Connor. wife. I've told Kelly. This, I, if I outlive you, Kelly, I will not have a robot wife. I don't want to replace you with a robot. No. no. John Connor. I won't have sex with a wife, with, with a robot wife, right? I will be, I will, it will affect my libido, a robot wife. It'd just be me, my television, and Wankatron 3000. <laughs> if that's the next step in technology. Oh, it'd be great, man. Just plug it in and just wanks you off when you're watching fucking Bargain Hunt. <laughs> fucking brilliant. Bargain Hunt setting. Kelly would have loved this. <laughs> so I'm not disrespecting her or nothing. She'd endorse the Wankatron 3000. Yeah. She'd sanctioned this. I was actually staring at her at the time. <laughs> you still got it, love. You still got it. Yeah, I just salute the urn. <laughs> just before and ejaculation. Fresh. And then press on. Plug it in. Let's go. That's the most romantic thing you've ever said to me, mate. I got a deluxe model stick as a stick of finger be bum at the same time. Deluxe <laughs> Micatron 3000 XL. Does Mike love you? Does he? He told me the other day that he'd salute me. <laughs> With both hands. With both hands. After he's been pleasured by his futuristic whacking machine. What a romantic man. Oh, he's as faithful as a day is long. You've never cheated him if somebody couldn't plug in. wouldn't leave the house <laughs> oh Ben are you going to visit dad am I fuck <laughs> no way no chance you leave him in his little oh, wine paddock yeah. the problem is he wants the wine cutter on 3000 in the coffin with him <laughs> when he eventually goes and I, I'm not going to I'm not going to read at the funeral it'll be too weird I didn't think we were start with wanking off a corpse in the first two minutes of the podcast <laughs> it's, it's great no, you're not. A no, robot not, wanking off a corpse. <laughs> you're, not, you're not a corpse in this. You're still alive and kicking, Mike. You I just, would be kicking in a fucking you, coffin. What are you buried just, for? No, no, no. It's like when you're dead. You know, it's like, you know how some men get buried in their pyjamas. You'd be oh, buried yeah. in yeah. your pyjamas next to your Wankatron 3000. Yeah, some people get their Olympic medals in there with them. You get yeah, your Wankatron yeah. 3000 in there. 
Hey, mate, they'd be selling like fucking hotcakes. Don't you worry. Write it down, mate. Write it down. Get to the patent office quick. If you listen to this and you're, you've got, a, you've got a, a small to medium tech company, <laughs> I've got the product for you. I'm just imagining it's like something out of Futurama. A lot of clanking. Occasionally yeah. could go wrong, rip your dick off. Yes, yeah. In my mind, it is, it is a purely metallic robot yeah. hand. High risk, yeah. high reward. Don't stop, don't stop. Inkjet printer. Oh, God. The first time you tried it would be fucking terrifying. Can you imagine? You'd be at the showroom, some 19 year old spotty, because so I do then. You you sit down, you put your penis in the the hole there, and then. Yeah, really. Yeah, just like it is on a video, the triangle is play, so off you go. And then, um, yeah, I'll, I'll be back in a couple of minutes, see how you're doing with it. Thank you. You can change, you can change grip strength and everything, aren't you? Yeah, oh, stop is square, two lines for pause. Yeah, <laughs> and then we've got a little cup holder then for the yard. <laughs> no, I'd have that. I'm one of those, like, I'll have a head harness Yeah. with, like, a fishing rod, and, and the yard the would just be dangling in front of the Oh, that's way. nice. <laughs> I got it all sorted. Yeah, head in three, head in three thousand. Can't wait. This. People who bought this also like this. It's what she, it's what she would have wanted. God, the bleakest selection of Amazon reviews you've ever read in your life. <laughs> I last left the house three and a half years ago, and it has performed faultlessly every day ever since. I've really put the Wonkatron three thousand through its paces over the last couple of weeks. I give it a hell of a fucking cane in. <laughs> hell of a cane in. I thought we got. How did we get onto Wankatron 3000? Just talking about coffee, and then it went. I don't know what <laughs> then all of a sudden, you're on a robot wanking you off. How was your day, Leslie? All good? Yeah, not too bad. <laughs> well, it seems a bit of an anti climax now, doesn't it? Yeah, I just can't wait to knock off. Uh, knock one off? Yeah. Give the Wankatron 3000 another go. Yeah. I've done a mic today, I've done a bubbins, I haven't had a shower and I feel absolutely disgusting. Well, that's when you're half a bubbin, because I feel great. Oh, no. Ugh. I've had a sh- I, don't, I haven't had a shower today either. I've had other morning wine. Go on. Fair play. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plug my radio show. Um, so nothing beats the 70s, BBC Radio Wales, also on BBC Sounds, right? I pitch the 70s, my favourite decade against other decades. Mm-hmm. So we're about four weeks in. The 1870s. Yeah, absolutely. Big fan. <laughs> We're going against the 80s now, right, this, this week. So I just had an interview with Pat Sharp, who was <laughs> such a nice bloke and so interesting, right? And what a lovely fella. Yeah. But then for the for the show the week after, so we, I usually get someone in, we have a, a, a chat with as well, to, that is a fan of the 70s also. Yeah. So I had Sally James as well this morning from Tiswas. Bloody hell. And oh, she was wow. absolutely Good morning, brilliant. Oh, so I've been speaking to Sally James and Pat Sharp. And then after we finish this, after the school run, yeah. Linda, the producer, has pulled a rabbit out of the hat. We, I've got, I asked for this, not thinking I'd get this interview. A bloke called Mike Post, who basically wrote every theme tune you can possibly think of that was brilliant in the 70s and the 80s. I'm interviewing him. Beautiful. Can you give us some examples? It. Rockford Files. Um, oh, wow. Is he American L- then? L.A. Law. Um, oh, Hill Street love Blues. Uh, oh, yeah, I'll tell you right now what he's written now. Television theme music. So, the A Team. Nice. Um, the Commish. Doogie Howser, MD. Yes. Great Amer- great, greatest American hero. Hooperman. Hunter. <laughs> Magnum P. 
Magnum PI, Quantum Leap, Law and Order, NYPD Blue, Hill Street Blues. That is very cool. Yeah, everything basically. Yeah. And also. Great life. Oh, can you imagine? But also, he worked on. with other artists. So he worked with people like. Hang on a second, where's it gone? I can't find it. Fucking. No, but there's other stuff. He did loads of music stuff as well. Well, I can't think what it was now. Well, I can't be asked to find it. <laughs> I can't think of what it was. I will say. If, that, if that's the start of your interview with Mike Post, <laughs> I will admire your honesty a lot. You did loads well, of other what, stuff because... too, which I can't be asked to find. Welcome. <laughs> because there's so much of it. There's just so much brilliant stuff. There's a song. On a, on, this is the sport-related bit. On a Sunday, we have my Sunday night club at the bar here. And Matt and Steve and a few others, Griff and Kenny, come over to watch the NFL. And we have a different theme tune, a different song that sort of sums up the club every every season. And we sing it and have a laugh and get drunk. You haven't got a drink, but it does help. So the one we had recently was a song called Believe It or Not, which was a, it was a state farm commercial in America with Adam Rogers on it. Right. The song's great. And it's from this thing, a show that we didn't have called, called the, the Greatest American Hero. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. Never thought I could feel so free. He wrote that. So that, but that's how it, that's become of all the songs every season. That is our number one Sunday Night Club song. That's funny. And he wrote it. There you go. This is great, man. I can't wait. I'd love to know this: the scenario and environment in which he was writing these songs. If he had like a study, and if mm. he, because I remember reading one. You know, some bands, Beatles were. Um, but if you interview the form, I can go on the Wankatron 3000. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but they, they would often be recording at you know three in the morning, whereas yeah. I read once that ACDC would would maintain office hours and they would be in the studio nine until five. Oh, nice! And they they found that helped. I remember um, reading that Nick Cave was a bit like that. He yeah he had an office and he would turn up at his office to try and write songs. Yeah, mm. like Seinfeld is. Um, I remember Seinfeld saying that he was watching some. Builders, some construction workers, and they were having a sandwich for lunch, and then they were off and worked. And he thought, "Well, I've got a job. I'm a comedian, so why don't I try and write jokes for eight hours a day? Because surely I would improve." Yeah. And then he became the best, almost famous comedian in the world. Well, depressingly, a lot of your favourite comics do that, don't they? They have a sort of road to Damascus moment. They go, "Hang on a minute, this is a yeah. job. I'll just spend eight hours a day doing it." So if, so if you're, I'm not one of them. <laughs> no. No, it's been reflected in your career. <laughs> yeah, quite right, yeah. I mean, I'm fucking no Jerry Seinfeld, that's for sure. I'm better faster than him, I'm better than him. Oh, mate. Yeah, even though, he's got, even though he's already got the trainers on. That's amazing. Yeah. Exactly. I can't do it, and I never could, you know what I mean? I, 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 nothing but admiration for somebody in any sort of creative field who can sit down at a desk for like eight hours yeah. with all the distractions around him and do that. What you need is what one needs is a deadline, in my experience. If I got a deadline, fine, but I'll be up till three in the morning finishing yeah. stuff. But if you think you're going to humiliate yourself on stage in front of hundreds of people, that is quite the deadline. And then, then I will work hard. Yeah. Have you never got to the point where you you're then rocking on up, thinking should have done that, should have done the work? No, oh, yeah, never of gone. On, I don't think I've ever gone on stage completely unprepared for it. Right. Okay. Because I would be too. Like, I never have a drink. I never. I never no. have a sip of alcohol. Right. When it's just you and a microphone and, a, and an audience, it is, or can be, fairly terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what terrified me. You know Conor McGregor broke his leg? Well, he's a fucking... On, 
well, Saturday night, I think. I was going to pick a clip of his, and I might do in the future. I think he's an absolute classless clown. When I've watched, because he breaks it horribly. Right. Good. I mean, it is it is a horrendous leg break. But what I what I find amazing is that happens relatively regularly in MMA, mm. Mm. and when they do it, they react in the way that you know a fairly normal person would react, in that they scream and they sometimes slap the canvas in agony and they hold their hand up to get the attention of a medic. As he does it, he grimaces slightly, continues to fight with his leg looking like it's a cheese string, Mm. then tells the the ref, oh, it's a doctor stoppage, doctor stoppage. He is then interviewed, sitting there as they're trying to put his leg in a temporary cast. And even though he must be... They haven't given him any pain relief at this stage... But he's just sitting there going, yeah, your wife's in me fucking DMs. Your wife's in me fucking DMs. Like, <laughs> when are you going to show that you're in any discomfort, Connor? Do you know, I mentioned this, he though, right? Well, that's, well, that's your wife's in me fucking DMs, right? Yeah, I was fucking boxing the ass off him. I was fucking boxing the ass off him. No, he wasn't, though, was he? He was getting beaten. Yes. Like he got beaten in the last fight as well. Like he got beaten against Mayweather. Like he gets beaten on a regular basis. If I'd broken my leg in that... Any grudge I've got goes out the window. Yeah, because you're not a fucking arsewipe, are you? That's the difference. It's like the Beatles having to go with Jesus in the 60s in America, right? The UFC fans who love Connor love Connor, right? Yes. Love him. Yeah. And I get it. I, mean, I treat this in the week. I get bums on seats. Oh, it's a totally, fight game. Yeah. It's a business. I completely understand all that stuff, right? But Connor McGregor now is worth millions and millions and millions of dollars, right? He hasn't got to be an arsehole all the time. Or even if you're doing the hype and the stuff before the fight, you touch gloves, yeah. you have your fight, and afterwards you shake hands and you have a, you, have a, you know, you, that's what sport is. You break is, your right? leg, you chill out. Well, no, you don't chill out, but you, you, you haven't got to start insinuating the, the fucking someone else's wife when you're lying on the canvas there, or that she's into you. you. You haven't got to say before fights you're going to put someone, they'll be leaving in a coffin, you're going to murder somebody. Someone that's got a wife and kids. You think, mate, just fucking, so you, you, throw, you throw a fence post through a window, and it smashes and it's a driver or somebody. I mean, what are you doing? Yeah. I used to, you only watch a lot of hype in boxing. And there is, there is bad blood in boxing and in MMA, obviously, right? That's genuine a lot of the time. And your job is to go in there and knock somebody unconscious, right? It's a fucking brutal game. There's an off switch. You, you, there must be an off switch. You can't be, you can't have zero class. That's my off switch is breaking my leg. Mine's slightly before point. that. Yeah. I think he, I think he got kicked before that. If you listen to Poirier, is that how you say it? Poirier. Poirier. Okay, okay. I, I always pronounce his name wrong, but uh, he said I kicked him in that early, and I could see it. I could see that it was broken or fractured, and when he twisted, that's when it basically Ooh, oh, came oh, away, right? Yeah. Ow. So Connor trying to say it was a freak accident. Well, it wasn't. He broke your leg earlier, and then you and, and then you made it worse. You know, so you lost the fight because he broke your leg. Like you'd lost the last one because he knocked you out. Like you lost against Mayweather because Mayweather's a better boxer than you and a better fighter than you, mm. right? He's obviously a fucking good athlete. He's obviously a fucking hard bloke. He's obviously made an awful lot of money yeah. and he's a supreme um, self-publicist, right? And he right? was the best one for a long time, but he's And not. he was the best yeah. one for... No, he's not yeah. now. And, he, and he's put... And Dana loves him because he's put MMA on the map. Well, yeah. You know, the UFC is the like- mixed martial art thing in the world. In no small part because of him. But it's like Ronda Rousey, isn't it? She was the best one, then she wasn't yeah. the best one, and then she decided, yeah. well, I could make a load of money doing a bit of WWE and then retire. He also he said, do you remember when the last high-profile horrific leg break in UFC a couple of months ago mm. 
Connor said, "Oh yeah, well, there's uh, you know, there's some weakness there. A, a, a leg doesn't break like that. He's he need he needs to retire because his his bones are weak. He's got some sort of medical issue, and then he does exactly the same thing. Yeah, but again, I wouldn't say any of this to his face. Absolutely not. No, if no. I were ever to meet him, I'd say hello, Connor. Love, love, love Dublin and Ireland more generally. And I agree you seem with funny. You, 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 the number yeah. of Irish people that are in touch with me on Twitter and that to say, well, we hate that he's Irish." People think that's what we're like. People think Irish people are like that, and we're not like that. Irish people are like Barry Glendening, who I watched the final with on Sunday. What exercise in self-restraint does Ellis I want to play poker against you, Ellis, because I can see your tell. Well, well, well. I was with Big England fan Max Rushton, John Bruin, the football journalist, who's a great bloke. Who was the Who was the female in there who says <laughs> that's uh, is that Max, the end of the game? That's Max's wife, like, like, who knows an absolute. Nothing is he would say. No, no, she knows. One. She's Max's wife, Jamie, is probably the neck and neck with Izzy for how little <laughs> for how little she knows about football. Obviously, oh, it's Max's God. job. Can we do a quiz? She's or lovely. She's so nice. But uh, uh, <laughs> who's who's the one on the edge? <laughs> she was talking about. She was talking about Luke Shaw because he was hugging the touchline, and then she she refers to them as costumes rather than kids. That's quite shirts, funny. Outfits or costumes? The audience. Yeah, the audience. Yeah. I was not there in the audience. In the audience. On the video, which I think has since been taken down. Hi, who are you? Uh, no, but Barry gleefully filmed Max's reaction to the final penalty. Yeah. And there's this amazing. Pregnant pause about thirty seconds as Max has his head in his hands, and she says, "Did he win?" <laughs> it's so That's the one. It's like she's <laughs> trolling him. Oh yeah, she's so nice, but it's amazing how little she knows about sport. But again, Izzy's exactly the same. Yeah, I mean, Cal, I've said before, she she's a waste of a ticket, Kelly. Oh, I've taken to the rugby, but it is, I always think there's a fan that's not getting this ticket because you're going. Yeah. It's not acceptable. <laughs> because you don't know how anything... You don't understand the scoring system. Yeah, I, I don't think I take it again. Because she just didn't enjoy it, in fairness. No, I mean, just, she doesn't want to go she, in fairness. She could be doing something <laughs> yeah. else. And then she said, well, I'll, I'll watch it on the telly. So, but you're not watching it. No, but it's on. Mm. Okay, well, that's, same, that's, fine. that's fine for you. That's what she wants to do. That's good. But, um, yeah, so she's... And she always talks about being a... A Swansea City fan, but she's not. What she means is her dad's a Swansea City fan, and also she she wants them to win. I don't think she minds. She oh, literally okay. doesn't care one way or the other. <laughs> or doesn't know. She doesn't like anyone of the family being anti Swansea, right. which is lucky because we're not. You know, she's very uh, she's very pro Swansea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but she doesn't care about the football team. Yeah, or the Welsh rugby team, or uh, I don't think it's a sport that she really cares about. Izzy likes tennis. Kel doesn't like tennis. I didn't even watch any Wimbledon. I didn't even know who won it. I don't know where it is now. No. I assume Djokovic did. The, the men's. I was listening to we the We three final. of us don't know what I was listening won. to the final, but yeah, something else went on. But there. wanking off a corpse, yeah. you come to the right podcast. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> None of us can tell you who won any of the Wimbledon finals. It was the, it was the day, though. It was, it was the, Obviously, it was the day of the Euros final. And we, John and I were on the radio on, on Five Live between 10 and... You're on Five Live and you don't know who won Wimbledon. Well, then what, I mean, because of the Euros, which was all we really discussed, we'd, I'd completely forgotten it was Wimbledon. So we, yeah. we threw forward to the next show and we were like, is it just going to be Euros, you know, uh, for four hours before the uh, before Mark Chapman takes over at six? And she went, oh, no, well, obviously it's the men's Wimbledon final. I was like, yes, yes, yes that's obviously that. Well. Yeah, I know that. that. Yeah. Obviously I know that. Yeah, obviously I, I mean, apart from that... that 
I was taking yeah. that as red. <laughs> I was, That's a given, isn't it? Is Borg playing? <laughs> <laughs> Borg Commerce? Borg against the, the, the angry one, McEnroe. Is, is he playing? How did he get on this year? He's had his hair cut, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to watch a clip of, uh, in passing, yeah. and it looked, it looked I'm, I'm not sure they've done this before because I don't watch Wimbledon at all, but they're showing the wheelchair tennis. That's part yeah, of the, yeah, that's been part of the coverage for a while now. Oh great! Yeah, well done. No, that's the last. Well, the last time I watched Wimbledon, mate, that didn't happen. Okay. Yeah, no, that is part Long of the. Stefan Edberg versus Boris Becker, nineteen eighty nine. I'm sure the last one I probably what would have been someone like Pat Cash. Would be Pat Cash cr- walking over people's heads to go and hug his dad in the crowd. Yeah. Was it his dad or his mum or something? Good celebration, that. I think it was the one Katron Street though. <laughs> just just going up, shaking hands with it, coming back. <laughs> he climbs over the seats to hug his wanking machine. <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, Pat Cash. <laughs> Could literally toss up with a microphone 2000 before the, before the game. <laughs> You've got a change in the same change room at Wimbledon, still have you? Yeah, I yeah. You, I think you share a change room with your, with your, That's with your crazy. number. Imagine that was boxing. Imagine get, you know, getting taped up in the same... You're right. Holyfield and Tyson just sharing the dressing room. Just Hello. Hiya. Are you going to use the toilet? No, of course I'm not nervous. I'm going to have a piss like a normal person. Absolutely. I'll keep my gloves on, what if anything. Crying for? I, al- I always cry. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> part of my warm-up. <laughs> Who's the priest with? I don't know. I've never seen him before. <laughs> I am not trembling. It is cold in here. Although, Owen, our mate there, has been giving me a bit of a pasting. In the oh, bloody... how's it been going? Give me a few slaps I've noticed recently. That's why I've noticed. Yeah. The pads. Starting to become oh, competitive yeah. for pad work. Yeah. yeah. A few old kidney slaps and a few old pops ow. on the nose. Yeah. Ow, ow. Through the old gauntlet down yesterday. Did you see the video? I haven't seen the video. I've, I've seen that you sent it. I haven't managed to watch it yet. No, it's okay. So it's all over to it. To make yeah, time. I'll have a look. Yeah. I'll have a look. I don't really want to fight you, by the way. That's fine. I'm working on my endurance at the moment. I reckon if I can avoid you for two rounds, I'm going to win. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, that's it, yeah. If I dance for two rounds. Um, and I, I was naked. <laughs> God, how fit must the proper boys be? Not ridiculous. Cheapest creepers. Imagine, like, getting actually hit all the time. Yeah. And hitting hard all the time. Not just tapping, hitting as hard yeah. as you can, cause you need to. Yeah. And being light on your feet, moving around the place. And being, you know, always thinking mentally, you've got to be switched on for three minutes otherwise you're going to get knocked out well there's one shot in the documentary that you've chosen later on which I don't want to spoil but where the main character in the documentary gets hit in the face during his final fight and they mm. put it into super slow motion and yeah. you see the impact that his face distorts it's unbelievable well that's all to be revealed later it isn't is it? it is that's, that's to come Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Right, let's do first round of clips. Um, Mike, you can go first this week. Right, I am denied about this for a long time, and I I kept putting it into the what into the uh, the Google Doc, then taking it out, then putting it back in, then taking it out again. I've left it in for the final time. This is. Well, unfortunately, one of many clips of England fans in the loosest possible meaning of the term uh, rioting. This is this one is before the final on Sunday. I don't know whether to mention it or not mention it, but I think with the the way that we do things on the podcast is things aren't going to change unless people really think about things properly yeah. I would hope that anyone listen to this that, that has listened to me or listened to any of us on here know that I love sport I love Wales I'm, I like to think I'm not actually jingoistic or some sort of weird xenophobe right? from what I've seen of the England boys this England squad they seem an absolutely thoroughly good bunch of blokes mm-hmm. the Tyrone Mings tweet yes amazing tell. Amazing. I mean, in, in, a, in a comedy club, that's a mic drop moment, isn't it? Fantastic. And Southgate seems like a thoroughly decent bloke as well. Mm-hmm. We all know plenty of England fans, and I don't think of any of the ones I know, there's, a, there's an arsehole amongst them, right? So obviously we're talking about a minority yeah. of England fans, but there's no point papering over the cracks and saying it's not a sizable minority, because it is. It's not 12 people, it's not 25 people, it's thousands of people. At, a, at the games and outside the games. And I could have picked a clip from before when they're rioting and throwing bottles and smashing things up and destroying property and fighting each other and fighting the police and terrifying people trying to get on with their lives with nothing to do with it. I could have picked a clip when they crash through into the stadium and they knock over stewards and kids and just make fucking arseholes themselves. I could have picked a clip during when some moron runs across the pitch and there's you know, and it completely spoils the flow of the game. And, and you know, who knows what that would have led to? I could have picked clips from afterwards. Plenty of those when things kicked off, Wembley Way and and all over London and cities across. It. I just think, fucking hell, it it must be so hard, right? And then and then I could have picked any number of thoroughly depressing social media clips from Rashford's. Twitter account mm. or bloody Saka's Instagram account that is just fucking despicable. There's no, there's no other word for it. Despicable, real arsehole. Mm. And I don't know what the answer is. And I don't know. I think we're, I think I don't know what the answer is. It must be so hard to be a, a, a decent England fan, which is the, which is the majority of people. Yeah. And have these fucking idiots giving you all a bad name. And I don't know. And then, but then a lot of the the decent England fans turn around then and say, oh, but it's the same in every sport, mate. It's the same in every country. All countries got idiots and arseholes. They have, but you're ignoring the fact that they haven't gone to the extent that you've got it. You can say it about Wales. I know Wales is a much smaller country with a much smaller fan base. Yeah. But we haven't got, and we, of course we have trouble. In, oh, no, I think there's, you know. But we ha- it's not in de- there's not that number of people. Leicester Square looked like the fucking Gaza Strip. Just thousands and thousands of arseholes everywhere. 
And you can't ignore that. And it's, and, and it's weirdly, it's tied into politics, and it's tied into sort of far-right stuff, and it's tied into all sorts of things. And it's fucking poisonous. It's absolutely poisonous. And I feel sorry for people like... I know this is heavy for this pod. It's no, it's not at all. comedy sports podcast, but people like Badil and Skinner, right, yeah. who love the game, absolutely fucking love football, the two of them. Right? Yeah. That, even the song has been just nicked by the arse wipes. I mean, it was never meant to be that sort of a song. It was, it was, it was, it was more about optimism and thinking, oh, Christ, here we go again. And, and it's that lovely feeling. We talked about supporting the underdog, and England have been... They should have won a lot more than they've won in the last 60 years, and that's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. They've got the richest league in the world. Yeah. Okay. A football mad country as well. There's a football match that's easily the number one sport by a mile. They showed, uh, what's his name, um, Jeff Hurt, who looked, he's 80. He's 80 this year. He looked, he looked, he doesn't look a day over 60. I think there's only four left alive from that team. Yeah, and the others aren't very well, I do yeah. think. You know what I mean? I just think, well, they should have won, and they haven't. And I don't, the, the type of people that it is, this is the problem. We're all working class, right? My dad worked on the docks. My mum was the, was the daughter of a coal miner, mm. right? Um, I, I wasn't born with a fucking silver spoon in my mouth, right? But what I, what I was lucky enough to have is the parents who said, you know, behave yourself in school, learn as much as you can, be nice to people, work hard, you know, and then and, and what you want to do is, is you better yourself. I never blamed anybody else for my lot in life. I think because I'm not fucking lazy and I'm not thick, right? And if you're lazy and you're thick, you've got two options. You either say... I'm going to fucking work harder and get myself cleverer. Or you say, it's his fault, right? And whose fault is it? Is it, is it the fucking bloke who came to the country, doesn't speak the language, has got a family, and is working 16 hours a day on the fucking news agents? Is it him? Or is it the bloke who has got offshore accounts and fucking hundreds of millions of quid, right? I'm not, I'm not trying to be political. I'm just saying they need to blame somebody for how fucking sad their lives are. And they are fucking pathetic people. You watch those fucking wankers on the, on the on those clips. I feel bad. That's why I didn't want to pick the clip because people say we shouldn't give these people the option of publicity, and they always talk about this side of the. And we do, and I get that, right? Yeah. But you can't sweep that under the carpet and say that doesn't exist until you address it and say why is this happening? Yeah. Why are these fucking when they're, when they're talking with the stuff about Saka and that? When they got people doing fucking monkey emojis. Right and saying get back to Nigeria and stuff, mm. and people say, "Oh, the, these posts should be taken down immediately." Fuck the post. Yeah. Why isn't that person fucking arrested and and taken to court? That's a criminal offence. Never mind fucking deleting their fucking Twitter account without being on any sort of right wing, left wing, a an a an apolitical comment. But when you got the fucking prime minister of of the United Kingdom saying it's all right to boo your team when they're taking the knee, yeah, you know that's your choice, you know. He fosters that poison, and the fucking Home Secretary does the same thing. Surprise, surprise, jump on the fucking bandwagon and stick a bloody England shirt over their suit, like, like, as if you believe him for two fucking seconds. Yeah. And then when, all the, when it all kicks off, say, this is despicable behavior, and the racism cannot be tolerated. Mate, you're fucking, you're not promoting it, but you're certainly doing fuck all to help. Mm. You're not doing anything to help. Yeah. Just, oh, fucking hell, sorry. That's well, no, 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 I think, it's, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's quite easy to get really simple votes out of something like this and I don't want I used to teach a kid called Linford right you won't mind mentioning him he's a cracking kid Linford right he's a cra- he was a cracking kid in school lovely right and I was in school with his old man and I ended up teaching him right uh, and he's got a personal training business he, he's, fr- he's from Barry. he's just got a boy now he's a lovely little kid right his son and Linford said he put this lovely post on online about it 
about why he's why he's training his son from a young age okay. to be able to look after himself. And he said, "We got to we got to we got to raise kings as, as as black people living in this country, right? It shouldn't have to be like that. No, he shouldn't have to. He shouldn't have to be training his fucking three or four year old son how to look after himself because there's fucking assholes out there. Yeah, who'll have a pop at him just because he's got." black skin and and I'm not trying to be hack I'm not trying to say things have been said a million times I know this is an echo chamber and people who listen to this podcast are good people right but fucking how is it going to how are you going to change how how does it these sad pricks I don't know I don't know what's going to happen with them I don't know I don't know what to do about it it must be so and if you're an England fan it must be so frustrating and fucking heartbreaking the thing with England every every football club has its share of idiots Mm. Every club does. Right? Yeah. Idiots watching the Swans, Absolutely. idiots watching Cardiff, yeah. idiots watching Newport County. The problem is, with England, they get everyone's idiots. So the proportion of idiots in it becomes huge yeah. because it's everyone's idiots. And there are, this is quite difficult to explain. And I don't, want to, I don't want to creep over into Welsh exceptionism or Scottish exceptionism. There are certain cultures to football clubs. So if you look, say, at the difference in the matchday experience of Millwall and Charlton, so they are a few miles apart, socio-economically, demographically very similar. It's a very different day out. Historically, the difference between Fulham and Chelsea was vast. Yeah. You know, and there are, there are other clubs. There are other clubs like this. You know, Birmingham and City and Villa was a very different experience for a long time. Yeah, that's true. But the, thing, the thing I couldn't understand was if Wales got to... Our equivalent, I think, of England getting to the final was probably Bordeaux, that first game. Yeah, sure. And it was a party. Mm. Now, I think uh, a bigger national equivalent, which is more plausible, is were Wales to get to the Rugby World Cup final and it was held at the Millennium Stadium, which is perfectly reasonable to imagine, actually. And there were a quarter of a million people in Cardiff who'd come to watch it, like when Wales won the Grand Slam in 2005. Would we smash up Cardiff? No, I don't think so. I mean, I was there in 2005. There it, was fights, there it, be, it was boisterous. It was boisterous. There'd be a huge amount of fights on St Mary Street, but then there are huge amounts of fights on St Mary Street. So that could be a regular Saturday. It's, it's funny. Like, as I remember that that Henson Hill the, watching the game, the 2005 Grand Slam game. Yeah, was boisterous. As someone who likes big crowds and sporting events and singing and all that kind of stuff. You you become a little anthropologist and you can work out if it was if it's going to kick off yeah. and it was never going to kick off. Yeah. And a friend of mine who's a figurative painter and doesn't like crowds and doesn't like sport, I think he probably would have been a bit intimidated by that. Mm-hmm. But it was it was always quite good natured. One difference between say the the Welsh fans, football fans, and England fans, the England football fan scene is very cokey as an as an anecdotal. Okay. Observation. One person on Coke is quite irritating. 15,000 of them in Leicester Squares is chaos. Yeah. But again, you know, I don't want to come across as, uh, um, you know, some Victorian moraliser. Because no, but it's if Wales had got to the final, I'd have been absolutely steaming, you know. But Yeah, but it's not as well because, you know, to ignore this sort of thing would also be to ignore the domestic violence stats around Six Nations games for Wales. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. the racism that I know some of the Wales yeah. players have suffered in rugby yeah. terms. So racist, yeah. there are racist Welsh rugby fans out there. I know that yes, because of course, some of my absolutely. friends are rugby players who've had that racist abuse. Yeah. And there are huge domestic violence issues. So it's, one doesn't mean that we're excusing the other at all or ignoring the other. When the Scots came to London... And they got very drunk. And I've I've been in London when Scotland played seven or eight years ago. 
you know, and they all put fairy liquid in the fountains at Trafalgar Square. They are hammered. They are absolutely oh, yeah. hammered. Oh, they're shit in a bus stops by midday. But it is different. It's a different vibe. And yeah. you can just tell. And I, I've had this argument with friends of mine who were England fans, but it's just different. And, like, I was talking about it with Barry, actually. You know, if, if Ireland did well in a World Cup, I mean, this this could spoil it for 2030 because there's a joint bid, isn't it, between mm. Great Britain and, and the Republic of Ireland yeah. towards the 2030 World Cup with the final presumably at Wembley. But, I mean, they really they really fluffed their lines. Well, if I that don't was think you can give it to them, can they? Not anymore. I think they've really fucked it. You look at your social history and stuff, which I know you're, you're both into, right? I don't know whether... I've been trying to analyse it for a while, right? Wales is, since the... 1500s, I suppose, been part of England, basically uh, a subject of England, right? So, obviously, we got a we got an we got a, a senate now we didn't have, and we got a degree of autonomy. But we've always been, you know, growing up, the bad guys for us are England, right? Because yeah. they're also, the ones. Who, yeah, also unlike and, Scotland, and, I think it's a very porous border, border, and the border's quite well populated. And I think we've always had more English people living in Wales than there have been in Scotland. So I think there's more of a mix between England and Wales historically. Yeah. Yes, but I, I always think that you know the the bogeyman if you if you're from Wales is we're growing up was was the English sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Wales has never ruled the world, right? We've never had an empire that went wrapped around the world. We've never thought we were anything. We've had a lot of successful people come from this country. Lots of things I'm very proud of. We've never been sort of tub-thumping, beating our chests. There's that whole rule Britannia bit, right, which I think is bollocks. And, it's, and it is poisonous. And we don't, we don't really teach it in schools. We don't, we don't teach the bad side of it. So if yeah, you grew up so in England, there's, there's, if you're not that bright in England, it's a, it's a, there's a quite a poisonous mix of thinking you should be the best people in the world and you bang on about the fucking war and German bombers and stuff that happened 80 years ago, right? And winning the war. When, to be honest, mate, you didn't win the war. And the person who won the war was your granddad, and he died. I mean, that's how long ago yeah. it was, right? There's that. Crossed with cocaine. <laughs> yeah, crossed with fucking cocaine and the fact that you probably, you know. And what's, what's interesting, if you watch the 66 World Cup final, 21 years after the Second World War ended. So the vast majority of the people at Wembley would have remembered the, the World War. Yeah. They'd have remembered the Second World War. It doesn't get mentioned once in the commentary. I think... People in the UK, but certainly England, are, are more obsessed with the war now than, than ever before. <laughs> Why are we paying 15 grand of taxpayers' money to put a massive Union Jack on a building in Cardiff Central by the train station? Why? We, let's get away from fucking stupid flags and bloody wrapping yourself in, in that. Be proud to be English, right? And be proud Absolutely. to be Welsh and be proud to be yeah. whatever that means, right? And it, and when when your country's playing, by all means, get behind them. I always do. I love it. I love being from Wales, right? But I don't feel that I got to shove it in people's face all the time. Yeah, and there, there, there are certain sort of extenuating circumstances. I think to what happened on Sunday, for instance. Have you have you both been to the Stade de France yes. in Paris? Yes. Mm. You can't get within a mile of the Stade de France if you haven't got a ticket. Oh no no no! It is very like Wembley is seen as a soft touch if you want to jib in without a ticket. And the problem is, if England haven't reached a final for 55 years, and Wembley has a reputation for being quite easy to break into, well, if you, you haven't watch got that break in, they, they weren't even police, they were just stupid. Yeah, well, then it's going to happen. just some bloke making a tenner an hour with a fucking yellow vest on. And what the, the fighting, the video I've seen of the fighting is people who are 
who have paid 500 quid for a ticket minimum yeah. Yeah. getting angry that a lot of people have come in without tickets and then it kicks off on the concourse. I think the other thing is the fact that no one's been on the piss for 18 months because of COVID had a slight effect. Normal people have been priced out of the game because the cheapest tickets I could see were £500, yeah. but everyone wants to see it. Yeah. I don't think, actually, that in Wales, a sporting event could unify Wales in the same way that the Euros final unified England. If you look at... They are fucking mad about football, the English. Yes. It's like what Rupert Murdoch said. There are three sports that matter in England. Football, football and football. Mm. And if you look at the top ten highest rating TV shows of all time on British television, yeah, it's... 66. Diana's Funeral. Um, Sunday, Diana's Funeral, Diana and Charles's Wedding, Italian 90, Euro 96, Morecambe Wise. <laughs> they yeah. like the English, like Morecambe Wise. Imagine Diana's Funeral going to penalties. <laughs> Royal stuff and football. And I think, you know, like, I, I... Well, don't even get me started on that, because that's part of the problem. But even what? though, even though I would say football is probably overwhelmingly Wales's number one sport, I don't think... That I don't think that coalesces into sport for the national team, oddly. And I think rugby is obviously huge, but there is there's certainly you know. No, I think we watch anything. I think, I think we'll watch anything that we're good at. That's what I mean. I think, yeah. But I don't think I I I don't think say the Six Nations has the same impact. If we had an America's Cup boat all of a sudden and we yeah. were good at it, or we had a world yeah, look, chess look, champion, look at the reception gear. I yeah, we'd all watch it and France. we'd all get out and do a parade. Yeah, but there is but, something about football in the English. But all the charlatans then jumping on and stoking them. Like I go back to Johnson, right? And I'm the cards on the table. Since I was old enough to vote, I have voted Plaid Cymru. I have voted Conservative. I have voted Labour. Right? I tend to vote for whoever I think is the best candidate in that area. Right? I'm not going to tell you what I vote now because it's irrelevant, right? But the point is, when you got a fucking leader of a country who is a dysfunctional fucker, right? There's no other way around it. You can't say it, right? But grew up by his own admission with no mates. Didn't have any friends. Right? Goes to public school and there's, and there's a, as a boarder, and that's a weird way to live your life, right? In, in a boarding school and eating and do all that other sort of stuff. Completely detached from r- the real mm. world. And then, you know, you've lied to everyone that you've ever worked for or been married to and your own kids and your own wives. I mean, with impunity, that means nothing to you. It's just... Every, everything in his life is a means to an end, right? To come out with things on record. This is the Prime Minister of Great Britain calling African people pickaninnies yeah. with watermelon yes, smile. Yeah. Calling Muslim women, they dress like letterboxes. Calling um, homosexual people um, tank top bum boys. Yeah. This is our Prime Minister. This is where you, this is this is and it's trickled down from there. You don't think saying that. You don't think that giving that bloke legitimacy and, and having those le- views legitimised fucking feeds into all the idiots. There's yeah. always there's always been anti-social behaviour though. Of course, yeah. But yeah, if you combine been. it, like you say, with legitimising that kind of leadership, and also, like you say, not teaching the negativities of an empire, or do, do you know what? <laughs> it comes to something in any country where the most intelligent observations on race and society come from sports people. So you've already mentioned you know Tyrone Mings. Oh, man. I hell, wish the man. fucking England football team were the cabinet. Michael Holding was on uh, Sky Sports earlier in the year talking about oh, Black amazing. Lives Matter. And he was saying that everyone celebrates Thomas Edison and no one has ever taught anybody about Lewis Latimer, who's the guy who invented the filament. Uh, without the filament, the light bulb wouldn't exist. Well, women and black people have been airbrushed out of it since day one. Because it suits, you know. With footballers in particular, when I think of Tyrone Mings, I think of Rashford, mm. 
St- I mean, I could go on and on and on. We've all seen, you know, Tyro Mings's tweet and Rashford's apology for missing the penalty. Oh, I felt heartbroken for him. He hasn't got apologies around me. When I was a schoolboy, that's when the Premier League happened, and that's mm. when players' wages were inflated. And there was a real feeling at the time. Well, the cliche or the stereotype amongst fo- about footballers was that they were vain, arrogant, rich, self-obsessed, and thick. Mm. You'd have to be nuts to think that now. Yeah. I mean, look at look at Henderson. It's like a straight A's at GCSE. Uh, but also, like seven A stars. You know that that non-binary supporter who tweeted Henderson said, "I was really nervous about going to watch an England game, but no one made any comments, and I really enjoyed it." You know, best. And then he retweets itself. Football should be, you know, football should be there for everyone. You just think. I'm not knocking players in the past because obviously they didn't live in a social media age. It's just they they are at a time when their lives are so weird, you would expect footballers to be detached. They're some of the most socially aware people in Britain. And that comes down, it's obviously their own, it's themselves, but also, going back to leadership, Southgate, the way that he leads that team and and the way that he is, right? He's made that acceptable and he's encouraged that sort of behaviour. People talk about you shouldn't mix politics and sport. If you make the fucking England squad, the cabinet, and and Gareth Southgate, the prime minister, yeah. you'd have an awfully lot. Your country yeah. would be much better immediately. Yeah, and you know, anti-social behaviour has always existed, and England fans kicked off at Euro two thousand under a Labour government. There was hooliganism yeah, yeah, in the seventies yeah. under Labour and Tory governments. When I, mean, I think of the Luton Millwall riot in eighty five, Thatcher was prime minister. There's always been anti-social behaviour, and you know, I've. Being in Cardiff when Six Nations been on, I've seen anti-social behaviour on Caroline Street at one in the morning, of course. But there is... I was talking about f- f- club cultures and football team cultures earlier on. And when Rangers played, was it in the UEFA Cup final in Manchester? Yes. And they rioted. And obviously, if you're Rangers fan, you're Scottish. But those people tend, from what I've seen, tend not to associate themselves with the national team mm. in the same way that um, some Swansea fans were outside the Liberty when they knew that Swans players were taking the knee and they were beeping horns and booing and stuff and yeah. letting off fireworks. Those people, in my experience, tend not to um, attach themselves to the national team, to the Welsh national team. And so I actually, I'm, I'm fairly confident that if Scotland got to the final of the Euros, Glasgow would be very drunk. But I don't think it would kick off in that way because the, the, the people who do tend to kick off at these events tend not to follow Scotland. Mm. And I, but the problem is the people who do like kicking off, who are English, follow England. So England has a problem then. And I don't know if the FA knows what it can do about it. Because they've had all sorts of campaigns, none of which seem to have worked. The ray of hope for me, I like old school stuff, but I think with social media, obviously it, some of the stuff that was online was horrific, right? But the flip side of that is... Those people are getting a positive message out. So people like Marcus Rashford. In the old days, he might have done a, 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 an interview in Shoot or in Look In, right? Yeah. And that would have been it. But now, people all over the country know, know what he stands for, yeah. right? Young people can aspire to that. Same with um, all the boys who've been online talking about it since that, right? Since, since the final and before, obviously. And I think, like we, we mentioned on this pod before, like my kids... They couldn't give a monkey's if you're black, yellow, brown, blue, white, pink. It doesn't make any difference whatsoever. Yeah. One arm, two arm, three arms, four arms. It does. I hope and I think, and I think maybe this is what makes the, the, the arseholes really worried and really fucking nervous, is they are, I'm hoping, they've crested and it's coming down the other side of that slope now and these people are railing against it because they know they're going to be 
an absolute postscript in about 20 or 30 years' time. There's another problem in that I think that the people in charge of security at Wembley really failed on Sunday. Yes. I think they failed, and I think the Met failed, and I think... But look how underfunded the police are. They're not being political. Yeah, them, but, but I mean... Not enough. I said a mate of mine about riots in Cardiff on a Saturday. He said, mate, we got 30 coppers in Saturday, on a Saturday night in Cardiff. 30 coppers. What do you want us to do? They, they reckon there were a quarter of a million people around Wembley. You know, a proportion of whom... And then it doesn't have to be a very big proportion who no. are trying to get in with our tickets. It's going to be chaos. And you have a duty of care to the to young people, people who might be disabled, who are getting jostled and pushed. I mean, it was apparent... I've, I've read so many articles... You've been there with your kids. You just want your kids... Yeah. Like, the number of mates of mine who are, who are England fans... Charlie Baker's a good mate of ours, right? Yeah. I'm sure Charlie wants to go there and be able to take his son and enjoy it and, and, and just, you know... Yeah. Not have to worry about idiots. M- Miguel Delaney's piece in The Independent is a good bit in The Athletic. Jonathan Liu and Barney Roney wrote piece in The Guardian. Yeah, I think it was pretty full on outside Wembley. I mean, I wasn't there, but the people I know who, who were there, were who've, who've watched a lot of football matches. I mean, I've watched hundreds of football matches in my time. And so of these people, and they were like, yeah, it was, it was different on Sunday. And, you know, it had England got to the final and it was in if they get to the final say in Germany in 2024 mm. will the Germans do a different job of you know policing could that could you drug test people is that too draconian could you drug test people on the way in if, 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 if the problem is people are fucking coked off their tits and being arseholes in terms of vibe it's weird because I don't know whenever Wales have got to these big games I mean I, again I'm, I, was, I was drunk I will be drunk well, I was going to sure say yeah. if it happened again but yeah you you want to enjoy it because you want it to be a party because it doesn't happen very often. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> don't play in finals very often. I don't. I wasn't alive the last time it happened. If you're doing lines at midday, you, I mean, you know what I mean. Yeah, I don't know. I picked the clip not to have a go at England. No fans, but quite the opposite, really. Yeah. The, the, like I said, I don't. I don't know a single mate of mine who's an England fan that, that is an arsehole. I, I don't think I know any Eng- English people who like sport who don't follow the football team. Mm. No, and they're all nice, normal people. We well, all. I made we Simon all on a Sunday, Newcastle boy. You know, listens to the podcast. Two nice, two lovely kids, married to Kelly's mate. Loves football. Was, was you know, and I, as a Welshman, if, I, if I'm going to absolutely be honest about it, I was. I didn't care. I would have been quite happy for, for Italy to win it, and you know. It, it didn't bother me particularly. We talked about this before about my my team is Wales and yeah. my team's not England. But you know what? As soon as Rashford missed that penalty, yeah, I went, oh fuck! And I was I was gutted. I thought of all the people who missed, it, I said, fuck, please, because I just know what the dickheads do. And then when Saka stepped up, I couldn't believe he gave Saka the ball. But that's obviously they they worked that out before the. But game. that just means he's brilliant at I penalties. Said, oh, please, for me. please don't, please don't, please. Don't. Yeah, and you know what? If you look at the penalty shootout against Argentina at France 98, yeah. um, Owen takes one and he absolutely rifles it home. He was 18, yeah. he was younger than Saka. He was, you know, yeah. the, all that says to me is that those three players who missed it, out of the players who were still available and on the pitch, were in the best five penalty takers in well, their country. I think Rashford and Sancho were brought on for that reason. Yes, they were brought on Rashford, they almost didn't get on. And he takes, I don't think Saka taking a penalty is a pro, is he? No, Saka well, is brilliant in training, then, isn't he? He's yeah, been he's never taken one for his club. Yeah, but Rashford takes them for United. Yeah, um, Saka, uh, Sancho's taken them for. And also, Rashford's is you know a centimetre away from hitting the inside of the post and going in and being amazing. Oh. But what's interesting is 
the most culturally aware people in this country at the moment appear to be the uh, the, the football players who work in the, probably the most diverse industry in the country. Yes. And if yes. the rest of industry replicated the diversity that those football players have and that rugby players have, that might solve the problem. You've got all these journalists saying, look at this wonderful diverse selection. I bet if they looked around the press box they were writing in, that oh, wouldn't mate. be diverse because I've sat in those press boxes. Right, Al, what's your clip for round one this week? Can it be a funny one? Let Okay. <laughs> Let's do uh, the complete opposite then. This is from a Twitter account called That's So Village, which tweets the funniest clips from village cricket. And this is from a game that I think took place in India. <laughs> D- describe it for me, because this one hasn't got sound. <laughs> it is... It, it looks is, great fun it is for played a in conditions I wouldn't go canoeing in. <laughs> in terms of in terms of how wet it is, I mean they must have had a torrential downpour. The wicket looks like a goal mouth from like the nineteen from nineteen seventy four in the middle of the wicket. Yeah, yeah just uh, uh, mud and water. So uh, the batsman, um, I mean it looks it looks like he's gone. It looks like he's going for six. But it's caught. But it's um, it's it's caught. It's caught by the fielder, who lands in a pool that's probably two feet deep of water. Yeah. And then you've got to ask questions. You know, if he's caught in the water, does that is it, does the catch still stand? Because does the ground it's, it's, become water then? If you know what I mean? There's, there's oh, all, there's, that's, that's deep. That's deeper more than one. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's there's all sorts of serious questions asked about. If the if the catch is a legitimate one, it's just he looks like it, he's sort of trying to pile through the middle of the crowd at Glastonbury watching Queens of the Stone Age, doesn't he? Yeah, he's just kind of going to do a mudslide all the way in. It is, but even even muddier. It is yeah. so <laughs> wet. I mean, and so you think oh, it's like a monsoon. Doesn't yeah, it? it's like Indian monsoon season. I remember during I think it might have been 1995 Rugby World Cup. Yes. Yes, it was the France South Africa uh, game. Yeah, and I mean the people are slight. And I remember the the commentator saying there's there's a there's an issue. Someone could drown. Yeah, and they played it, didn't they? They they. Yeah. I think the game was was played to the end. But this, I mean, but I love the pitch they've got here. But also, cricket is a sport. Well, it's it a bounces. summer sport. You play cricket where it's sunny, not when. It's- it's almost like a concrete end. So they've got yes. one end where the ball will bounce up to the batsman. The other end is just mud. Yeah. So they, mm. this is regular. This isn't a yeah. one-off. This hasn't rained. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what it's like. So and they're only fantastic. playing in that. So they're only playing in that one end. But I played but, a bit of cricket. I yeah. Watch a lot of cricket. I do think always. Why they, they off just for? end games too early? Yeah, I, I agree. A bit but, of rain. Wow, it's raining. So what? Kids cricket on. as well. You just think, oh come on. The kids, yeah. they don't give a monkeys. You know, and it, and it might bounce differently, but that's, well, that's sport, isn't yeah. it? If your hands are below the water when you catch the ball, <laughs> is it out? That's the big question. That's, an, that's a really interesting one for me. Nietzsche says. Yeah, it's just... <laughs> and also the bowler, his standing foot when he delivers the ball. <laughs> just squelch. Oh, yeah, it's like... It's like he's in the song. Yeah, <laughs> it really, really made me laugh. And, and that's so vivid. I've only recently discovered this. It's good, uh, isn't it? This it's uh, a great clip. Twitter account. It's very, very funny. So it's an account dedicated to the best sport in the world, village cricket. And some of the stuff they find, you know, you're getting seventy-five-year-old chairman of the club sort of 
you know, hitting six and all that. It's just, it's just really in his shirt and tie. It's just really good fun. And I've only just realised this was on telly. It's got a score on the bottom. I hadn't noticed that. This is an actual. So, so this is like a competition, a league, yeah, that is a televised. televised league. Oh, fucking amazing! Yes, I don't notice oh. that as well. That's a really good That's, point. This, this is like. Regular, they, they must have a league that carries on regardless of weather. Oh, fair play. I'd man. like the. Can, can people find out who this is? Never mind the hundred. This is the future of cricket, right? All weather cricket. So, oh, what can I see? Ekvira Bravo 11 is one of the teams. When he takes the catch, the fielder. Who's, who's a belly flop comes in from the comes in from the boundary and does a belly flop into three feet of water. He gets yes. up and his shirt is so wet. He's absolutely saturated, and you think he's got to, he's got to play in those clothes for hours. Do you never, when you're a kid though, and you get to a point, the point of no return, you try to stay dry for a bit. Yeah, yeah. And then you think, like I remember coming back from comprehensive school in my blazer and shirt and tie, right in the eighties, and you try and you put your bag over your head for the first five minutes, and thinking, <laughs> fuck it, I'm soaking. And then once you embrace the fact you're going to get drenched, it's brilliant. Just sliding along the grass on your belly. And also, if you're in shorts, because um, you know skin dries more quickly than cotton or denim. No, we're in shorts. The comprehensive got me. No, no, but I'm talking about these players are in shorts, so eventually it it doesn't bother you as much. I thought you went to comprehensive. No, no, I do. Of course not. Not the hot pants. Not the fifties. I didn't have a school cap. You went in Australia. My boy's going to wear. He's going to the big school in September. I've been getting proper emotional all week. I keep driving past his where he went into year one. Because we were going to drive back from the gym and I go past like where he first went in when he was like four years of age. Yeah. In the school. I just I just burst out crying there. Driving that's, back that's, not, that's not uh, emotion. That's the steroids you're on because you're at the yeah, gym. Yeah, I was going to say. Like, it's all the, te- the tests you've been taking. It's the mounds of coke I took before I uh, go on the school run. But he's going to big school now in September, which yeah. is, I can't believe it. It's gone so quick. But anyway, um, I said, maybe we've got to get some uniform. He said, I'll, I'll wear shorts, Dad. I want to wear shorts. And now kids are going back to wearing shorts hey? to school. I, yeah. My my boys have don't own a pair of trousers. I don't think. Do yeah. they? No, no. They just wear shorts. I the whole couldn't time. wait to get the shorts off when I when I was a kid. I couldn't wait to get long trousers. Yeah, because you look more grown oh. up. Yeah, yeah. We had a kid called James in, in junior school. I won't say his last name in case he listens to this because he ended up being a Cardiff City fan. Hi, James. <laughs> Hi, right, James. And he'd wear shorts as soon as we were, uh, the first like moderately warm day in the spring. Yeah. His mum had sent him to school in shorts. And he's quite a big kid as well. This is in junior school. Yeah. But he'd be in shorts then until like Christmas. <laughs> yeah, my kids wear shorts all year round. Yeah. Oh, I couldn't wait to get it. I couldn't wait to get long trousers. And certainly in secondary school, long trousers. Yeah, absolutely. So are you allowed to wear shorts in comp? I don't know I how it works. I think so, yeah. yeah. I think they can wear like, yeah, as long as the right colour. But this, you, you watch, going back to the clip, right? Mm. They are making do with, they obviously get a monsoon season coincides with their cricket season and think well like we either not play cricket or we just get on with it yeah so let's get on with it how can we do it well let's let's put a rubber mat or something down on the wicket to drain a bit of the water through it and carry on and I wish they'd do it more yeah especially like like, like we were saying with kids cricket the number of games that Ben misses because they, they'll call under 11 games off because it's raining yeah like and 10, also realistically in Wales you're not going to get perfect weather for cricket well, no. all year I, all I would summer. say on average you're getting 6 games a season out of those kids this is why all, all the idiots, when I say about we should do a summer season for rugby. Yeah. 
They say, well, what about the, what, what about the rock hard grounds in the summer? Have you been to have you, have you lived in Wales before? <laughs> Where are these rock hard grounds? It's July now. It's July now. I, I, I could easily plant fucking potatoes on the football pitch now. Yeah. Joe played right, rugby league last night and one kid slid in from 10 metres out. Uh, this is July. <laughs> yeah. What about friction burns and rock hard pitches? That would be lovely, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> Honestly, we'll be fine. The rain gets a bit warmer for a couple of months. That's all. <laughs> How great would it do a diving catch in the rain like that? Yeah. It looked brilliant. You can play rugby and when you, can, when you can skid in from miles away or when you can do football, do a sliding tackle and you're still, you're like 10 yards past the touchline and still going. It's brilliant, isn't it? We used to have a stream running through our school, I think I said before, but that kind of would overflow onto the one end of the rugby pitches as well. So one end of the pitch, you knew you could slide in from at least 10 metres out. Oh, yes. And get a nice wave going as well. My best ever tackle, and it wasn't playing any particularly good level of rugby, but I rem- weirdly you remember little things from games. And you never know at the time that that one thing's going to stick in your mind for 20 years. Right? Yeah. We played Gordano, which was a, by God, not far from Gordano Services. There's, if you're going down the M5, you'll see their pitch on the left. Oh, okay. yeah. Gordano, Gordano Rugby Club, right? We played them for my team I was playing for in Bath. And it was pissing down my rain. And a bloke was going to score in the corner. I sprinted across. I tackled him just before the try line. Rolled onto my back. And the two of us skidded right the way through the dead ball area and over the dead ball line. Oh, brilliant. Right I must have skidded about 15 yards with this bloke on, trying to get the ball down but I'm wrapping him up <laughs> on my back. Oh, it was brilliant. And I just remember that one little thing. Playing rugby in the rain is a laugh. I love it. Right. My clip for this round... I can just about handle the England football team being lovely human beings. I can handle feeling emotionally warm towards them. Mm-hmm. I saw this clip on the weekend. I now feel emotionally warm to the England rugby team. <gasps> this is Marcus Smith. <laughs> don't play it, Steph. Don't do it, don't do it. They're all right people. Oh, my God. Uh, this is Marcus Smith uh, being congratulated by his mates after um, they played against Canada on the weekend. During the Canada game, while he was playing, he got called up for the Lions. He gets told about this in the tunnel uh, as he comes off and then goes over to Channel 4 to do an interview. Hey, hey, Marcus, just a little bit of detail. What have you got? Hey, oh, look at here's it. your team. Look, look at what we've got. This is oh, madness. have that team spirit within the England squad and for them to feel that way about one of their teammates being called up to the Lions tour I think is beautiful they all go over to the side where he's being interviewed by Joe Marler and Ugo Monye on telly and they just stand behind him cheering Lions Lions and then embrace him in a huge hug and I just thought I like you lot you're all right and he's trying not to. He's trying not to look super chuffed, isn't he? He's trying to play. Yeah. play it cool. And well, he's played spectacular rugby this season. And you know, I've I've wanted to talk about Quinns for a little while because they have, they shouldn't have been in the mix, really, for winning the title this year. Yeah. Fourth by a long way, in the league, and then great game against Bristol, great game against Exeter in the final. Amazing. And Smith 
is a huge part of that, and their trust in Smith. He's young, isn't he? How old is he? Twenty, I think. Yeah, because he top looks of my head. like a schoolboy. Well, didn't they let the crowd know? I think yeah, I think they announced it over before, the tannoy. Yeah, yeah. So before he knew, everyone in the stadium knew. I spent you know the next five minutes half watching this game. Once I saw it on social media, they'd been called up, thinking, "Game off, game mm. off the pitch, poor kid." But also his mum and dad are there. He says their family are there. So they would have been sat in the crowd watching their son play for England. Getting texts. And then heard. Well, you'd have got a text, wouldn't you? Somebody would have know. texted you straight. If, if you know, if one of your kids got called up for the Lions and you were watching Wales at the time, someone would send you a text going, Bubs. No, but my, my phone would be off because I'd be thinking I'm watching my boy play. <laughs> but then you hear on the, on, the, on the stadium speaker that you've been selected for the Lions. I can, I, can fi- I can find out what it's like to have your son being picked for the Lions because I saw Mam at the weekend yeah, and we went to watch Betty do a ballet recital and yes. she was wearing a mask. I said, oh, I like your mask. And she said, yeah, it was Ken Owens' mum made this. <laughs> so she, was, she, she wears a mask made by a British lion's mother. Proof if proof be need be that we all know each other. In There's eight of us here. Yeah. <laughs> but I also like the lions calling up a maverick fly half to replace a maverick fly half. So, you know, Finn Russell's been injured. They haven't gone for Sexton, which would be the obvious option. Uh, by, by the time you listen to this, Sexton might well be on the tour and he might well be playing in the Test Series. I don't know. Mate, the way things are going, by the time you listen to this, there may, there may not be at all. Yeah, there is that too. Stick into your guns and going, right, OK, we picked Finn Russell for his sort of flamboyant number 10 role. Who's the next cab off the rank with that? It probably is Smith. I think that's great. I think it's a really good selection. I see about turning your, your Ken Owen story there, Hal. Yeah. So I was talking to my agent uh, in the week, and he took his boy to cricket. And I think they, they were struggling. Um, he lives in Surrey. They were struggling to find. I think he said the coach was not available. They asked. They put a shout out to some parents or members to help out with the coaching that day. So he, said he turned up there, and there was a bloke in a baseball cap and a pair of sunglasses. He said it looked quite public schooly, you know. And yeah. he was talking to the lads. Gets up close, Matt Hancock. <laughs> No way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, yeah, mutual play. friend of ours, uh, Steve Hall. Oh, yeah. Comedian. I went to uni with Steve. Yeah. And Steve has dug out a sports quiz on the student radio station that we were a team on. It was me, him, and another guy who's a commentator on Eurosport these days. And the host of that quiz... Is Matt Hancock. Is it? Yeah. There we go, look. <laughs> Everyone knows Matt Hancock. Yeah, so what's it, what's it like? Is he funny? Or is he... I, I haven't listened to all... He's very Partridge. I've, I've only listened to about 10, 15 minutes of it, and I was really hoping that I didn't like him during it, because I didn't want, yeah. you know, to go... He's a good lad, actually. Um, but I love sports so much, <laughs> and I love amateur sports so much. You now like Matt Hancock. I t- yeah? Well, put it this way, I don't dislike him anymore. Because I thought, I don't care what you've done, mate. You've given up your you've given up your Sundays to coach kids cricket for free. You must be all right. Yeah, <laughs> if, I, if I saw if Paul Pot was doing my boys under twelve rugby, good lad. He's got full well, time well, job. Hancock's got, got the time now as well. He's running all of Cambodia and doing this. Come on, he's given up <laughs> Wednesday nights and Saturday mornings. He can't all be bad. It's supposed to be on a mass execution now, but he's coming here instead. <laughs> he must he must be half decent at cricket then if he's if he's coaching a kids team. I think he's just sort of helping out like coaching as in, you know. Just being a nice man. Yeah. 
Wow. Part of the rehabilitation of Matt Hancock. I know. Just wouldn't think. Would you? Well, he, he, that's what Andy said. He said, uh, you know. This is where it starts. Yeah. When Dave Edwards of the uh, of the amazing Welsh language post-punk band Dat Bluggy died. Yeah. A couple yeah. of weeks ago. And Mark Drakeford tweeted about it. <laughs> Did he? <laughs> what world am I living in? This doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, someone in his office. Every time I've met someone that I, that I previously didn't know but thought I wouldn't like. Yeah. And I found out that they're into sport. I then come back, and Kelly, Kelly laughs when I come back. She says, "Let me guess, he's actually not a bad bloke." He's all right, is he? As it turns out, <laughs> he's, he's not a bad bloke. It's, yeah, if I meet if I meet someone and they like football, and then we have a good chat about football, yeah, suddenly then an awful lot of preconceived prejudices can just evaporate. Yeah, God, it's terrible, really, isn't it? Yeah, imagine imagine after Matt Hancock. After the session with your kid, you just go back in the pavilion and he talks about like the Botham test. Yeah. And he starts waxing lyrical about Bob Willis. And, you know, I yeah. just think, oh, he's all, yeah, I tell you, he's a pretty good bloke, that man, Hancock. And as you're leaving, he goes, uh, Do you want to borrow any of my dad bloggy CDs? <laughs> see, see you next week, Ben. You played really well this week. Just as you're leaving oh. as well. Yeah. Just as you're leaving. Oh, oh, he's all right, man. I'll be knocking doors with the big blue rose out on the next week. <laughs> <laughs> Easily led. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll drop a couple of those off you. Don't worry. It's fine. I could do the whole of my street. Hey, tell you likes rugby union. Who? Richard Nixon. He's a good bloke, actually. He's all right. My mate Byron, who listens to this pod, who I live with in uni, won't have a bad word said about Richard Nixon. <laughs> Why? And Byron, if you listen to this, you know that's true. If anything, he was just doing background research. He was just being cautious. I think he just got caught, mate. I think they're all up to yes. it. He just, he, he just happened to get caught yeah. doing it. It records their own flipping office, though. I know. That's the maddest bit of it. It's okay well, the Hancock get... thing. No, no. Well, yeah, that too. Well, well yeah, both, it turns, out, them, turns yeah. out Nixon and Hancock <laughs> record their offices. <laughs> both good blokes. Both don't understand how <laughs> office cameras work. Both good lads. <laughs> Such a dodgy little check when he opens the door, though, isn't it? That's the thing. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't look good, does it? It's like if you ever see a fight, if you ever get involved in an altercation. Yeah. In, I haven't done for 20 years, but, you know, <laughs> when you see fights on CCTV, they always look a lot worse than they did, than they, they, than they did at the time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They never look good. Yeah, so that bit when he sort of opens the door, checks, has a little, yeah, and then goes straight for the bum grab. <laughs> <laughs> bang, straight for the bum, bang, in. Yeah, but anyway, it's a cricket, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, we, no, we, no, we weren't doing cricket, we were doing Marcus, Marcus Smith being a good bloke, That's and England right, being Marcus good blokes. So, so far what? we've established the England rugby team, Matt Hancock and Richard Nixon are all good blokes. We've said before, it is, it, it's rarely the players. No, it isn't, is it? Like we said before, Gibbsy's, when Scott Gibbs said that you know, his biggest disappointment for the Lions was found out what a good bloke Will Carlin was. And, I, and I've had very limited dealings with Will Carlin. I think I could tweet it back and forth some stuff. Seemed like a really nice fella. And then, of course, if you're if you're in that world, they become your mates. And you've got on British Lions tour, they're your mates. I've done some work with so, him. He is lovely. Is he? he like, like genuinely, really, really well, really nice. And again, you 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 find someone talking about something you're into. His dad played for Cardiff rugby, That's right, yeah. and we chatted about that for ages. Also, posh. I mean, I went to state comp. You know, we all went to state comps. Obviously, Will Carlin went to public school. Lost my mate to the public school. And I think if you have no say in that as a kid, no, exactly, yeah. 
Dad, could you really scrabble together and get some money and send me to Eton? <laughs> that's, not how it, that's not how it works, is it? Try and give me a leg up, will you, Dad? Come on, Dad, work I, a bit harder. Ivor Graham, who loves football, yes. genuinely, and he's not, he's not like a plastic fan, he generally loves football. Very funny bloke, right? He's, he's an Etonian. Right? Yeah. yeah. So it's nothing to do with where you go to school. No. He, it do, if, you're, if, if you're a dick, it doesn't help. It can be, yeah. Yeah. It can be the fact that you've never been exposed to anything else. Yeah. He's but, a big Swindon fan, Ivor. Yes, he is. And, yeah. um, His stuff to camera's great. Those bits he does oh, to camera. Yeah, he's an amazing joke writer. But there's um, there's a great clip where Swindon scored like a last-minute winner against Rochdale or something. And he's there in the away end because he used to book his gigs around Swindon's fixture list. And him and his brother are right down, um, press against the fence, hugging the player. And he's on quest. And there's only a few under in the away end. And obviously he didn't know he was going to end up on telly. But he, he spotted himself on the TV. And it's such a funny... It's it's a really it's a really funny sort of clip of someone who's just completely lost in the moment because Swindon have scored a last minute winner against someone in League One in December. <laughs> and how if that's your team, it matters just the same as if United yeah. had won a, a a Champions League. I think funny posh. We we know Miles Jupp. Yeah, I mean he, he's a funny bloke, Miles. He did. <laughs> I mentioned on here before. He did a gig in the Glee once, and I was on the same bill as him, and he's very. And he hams it up how posh he is as well on stage, which I which I still love. He said, "Interesting place, Cardiff, isn't it?" I was in that uh, Queen Street yesterday, and um, some chap jumped out at me and said, um, "Give me all your money." I said, "What, all of it?" <laughs> 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 some, he said, "Most of his time had been land." <laughs> <laughs> A great line that. It's funny point. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the England boys. I mean, that's you know. I'm sure they're a great bunch of lads. Yes, and that bit there when they when he turns around, they're all and they're genuinely chuffed for him. Yeah, and that's and that's why you don't when you when you play in a team. Obviously, all those boys want to play in the British Lions. Of course, you do. That's that's the pinnacle. If you're a British, if you're a, if you're from these islands, that that's the pinnacle, right? British and Irish Lions is the, is the best team, but they're genuinely chuffed for him that he's in it. And great, it must be what a feeling. Twenty years of age, man, and he's on, he'd be there now. Here's a question, right? Without being, I'm not trying to. I'm not going to all tinfoil hat now, right? But they're on about, I think, 11 of the playing squad had COVID, right? Yeah. But if everyone's been double jabbed in the in the Lions squad and you're all fit young blokes yeah. and there's no crowd there yeah, and you're all in a bubble anyway, yes. why can't you play against someone with coronavirus? I don't, I don't get it. If, if you're asymptomatic, what's the difference? I'm not a doctor. There'll be a scientist who knows the answer to that. Yeah, don't bother getting Some in touch. Some boffin. I won't listen. <laughs> he won't read it. There's no point in sending it. i got my own opinions. You're not going to alter them. You're not going <laughs> to change those with facts. I didn't get worried after they were listening to other people's opinions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a scientist. I did do a, well, a sort of sports science degree. Sort of? Is that what it's called? Yeah. BSc in sort well, of if, sports science. Well, this is the thing. If, I, if it had been sports science, it would have been a BSc. Yeah. Because it was... Sport and Human Movement Studies. It's a BA. Who are these fucking dongs who put BA after their name? Me. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I put BSC Econ. Do you? After everything, yeah. Oh, please. Oh, and Ellis do. James, BSC brackets Econ. I've noticed it on your uh, your auto-signature, on your emails that you yeah. sent. Mike Bevins, BA on. Yeah. <laughs> Is this hat design OKL? Send it over. Yeah, fine. Ellis James, BSC. BSC Econ brackets ons. Ons. <laughs> M.A. 
<laughs> because I need people to know that's a thing. I need people to know that I'm. I think qualified. PhD is the min is the minimum abbreviation after a name. No, but even no, then, you, you just you've put, got a, put the doctor in front of your name. Yeah, just doctor. Yeah. Don't put a PhD down. No. M Phil, come on, mate. My sister got an M lit. Really? She was going to do a PhD in Oxford, and then she just realised she hated it there. <laughs> so she's just a, like a like a shorter, like a two years instead of three. Tapped out after two years. Go, this is M lit. She had real, she had real bad stick there for being Welsh, off a lot of the, um, the certain elements of the of the public school brigade. Well, uh, Steph's nickname when he was playing rugby was State School. Come on, State School, pass it. I think yeah, but what you're saying about the really posh lads, they were the ones who were all right. Yeah, the real posh. The lads. really posh lads, like I, I was in you at St Luke's with um, Peter Phillips. I mean, if you're really posh, it's absolutely fine. Yeah. It's the ones who are sort of uh, upwardly mobile, posh. do you know what I mean? I remember Noah yeah. Gallagher saying this. I remember Noah Gallagher saying, I don't mind the ultra-posh. It's the English middle classes I can't stand. Yeah, well, ultra-posh, you're not trying to prove anything. You, you, got to, you, know, you're not, you don't feel threatened by stuff, I don't think. No. You just are what you are. Also, in my experience of the ultra-ultra-posh, they often have quite a working-class, hedonistic approach to life. And it's the middle classes who are often the more boring ones. I'd love to hang around with a fucking Formula One driver from the 1950s. Yeah, then it's it's all champagne and cigars and driving <laughs> oh, really fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all dying in your 30s with a big smile on your face. <laughs> but all those land speed records are always like, you know, they always had at least one mansion each. Oh, yeah, yeah. Those people, they, they their fathers were dentists. Yeah, what's your dad do? Oh, he's a he's a partner in a in a... In a Firmer solicitors in a very small town. All oh, right. What's your dad do? Oh, he owns half of Northern Ireland. My dad sells carpets. <laughs> My dad's a Duke of Cornwall. <laughs> Same sort of thing. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Before we do the doc, Mike, I want to say... um. I'm not trying to plug it. You do always wait till I just do an intake of breath and then talk. Yeah, because someone got in touch. And I have checked. They are are a patron. It's okay. So I don't don't mind saying hello to patrons. Okay. Go on. Hang on. I I, I screenshotted it. Okay. By the way, people trying to get hold of us, if we don't get back to them, it's not because we're being ourselves. I just, Mm. personally speaking, I just forget a lot. And then I can't remember. I like the old days. Go on. Well, just now I'm trying to find things. I don't know if it's on my... Facebook profile, my Facebook comedian profile, my some messenger. Is it was it a message? Was it on Twitter messages? Was it on fucking? What I do now, I screenshot stuff. Stu Pierce, Stu Pierce in Shrewsbury. Yeah, not that one. Okay. I'd want to. Maybe it is. Okay. Maybe it is. Uh, if if Stu Pierce has left the football world and now is a valetor at the local Jaguar Land Rover dealership. <laughs> um, this is fiftieth on eighteenth of July. Cool. He's the big. He's the big, he's the big fiber. Big fan of the podcast. Although he does admit that at times he's an absolute dong. Oh, well, at least you know. Self-aware dong. Stu, if you if you know you're a dong, that is literally half the battle, mate. Yeah. So, uh, to de-dong. Happy birth, 
Happy birthday to you. De-donging. I'm 50 next year. I'll be joining you on the other side of the uh, the crest, Stu, next year. Raising your back to the pavilion. On the wrong descent into senility. <laughs> oh, God. 50's going to be weird, man. That feels, that sounds old. It does, but I reckon when you're 70, you look back and say, God, I remember when you were 50. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, the world of your feet. In 20 years' time, your age will always seem unspeakably young. Yeah. I remember when my dad was 40, and it was Mm. was just unfathomable that I would ever be 40. Yes, I remember thinking that as well. Yeah. It was just like, whoa, that's old. You old bastard. (laughs) (laughs) You old fogey. Happy birthday, you old git. 33 years of age. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. You old git. You bloody old git, boys. (laughs) <laughs> but then Pat Sharp today, 60, isn't he? He's like having a sandwich with banana armour and you know, <laughs> hanging out with a har and stuff. I thought, oh, what a life. I like to think that he still lives in Funhouse. Oh, yeah. Well, Kel said, you got, you got to ask him about the hair. So, well, I, and even the notes from the producer said, you know, about his Mentioned hair. Mentioned so mullet. I'm not going to mention the hair because I'm sure he's been asked to death about the hair. So if Pat Sharp mentions his hair to me... I'd be stunned if he didn't. Enough, he did mention it. Of course he did. So what did he say? I used to have a mullet, you know. He said he spent a lot of time in Norway, in the Scandinavian country, because his wife's from Norway, and that's that's where he got to know the Yaha boys and stuff as well. He said over there, hockey hair, a.k.a. the mullet, as it was, was a look. Yeah, ice hockey hair, yeah. Which he liked, so he, he did that. And I said, well, be fair to you, mate. I said, you know, I've always believed in going all in with the stuff. Yes. So you liked the look of the mullet, and you took the mullet to the next level, which is what he did. But at the time, he wouldn't have looked daft because he wouldn't have done it. This is the thing I, about looking back at what's stuff. What's his hair look like now? He's, well, he said it's been short for 30 years. People don't <laughs> ever talk about the money. Unless you're talking about a haircut that you had 30 yeah. years ago because you were on telly. With if it. I was still known for having like, the flat top that I had in 1987. Yeah, I had spiky hair in 1990. Did you? I had a proper flat top like um, Carl Lewis. Where was your curtains era? Uh, <laughs> Carl Lewis! Sorry. <laughs> Not vanilla ice. It was like Carl Lewis's flat top, actually. I had yeah. curtains yeah. probably 93 to 95. Okay. There are curtains. Ninety-two tonight for my oh, my hair. He does take to a curtain. <laughs> I had a sort of Gil Gerard, Buck Rogers side party. Yeah, I had a Ravers Bob as well. I had a Buck Rogers for most of the seventies and the early eighties, and then I sort of cut my hair short in the mid eighties. I went a bit Don Johnson mid eighties. Then I went Carl Lewis slash Vanilla Rice with a flat top. <laughs> then after the flat top fell out of fashion, I went proper number one all over. I've never done that. Oof. Yeah, I did. Then I went to university where it grew a bit longer then, but it was always quite short, always clippers. Yeah. And a, and a goatee beard, because I went to Canada, and a lot of people like goatees, I liked a goatee, so I had that. Lovely. Goatee came off, hair grew a bit longer. I've always had sideburns. I had the moustache about six years, it's all good. Beautiful. You ever and had curtain, Steph? No, no, I've, I've always been fairly mundane. Centre party. I had a centre party. I tried a centre party for a while. Yeah, I've tried a centre party recently because look at it. Because Kenny Rogers always had a centre party. Okay, and because I'm receding, especially at the sides, you can see there. Yeah, but but it's very forgiving for that centre party. Is it? You watch a lot of like older country singers will have centre parties because you can have longer hair and it covers the receding bits at the side. Maybe I so, need to try know. that then because mine's going back. But you've got super clean shaven today. You know, I have. Yeah, got rid of the got rid of the beard. You do look. At least 10 years younger. Yeah, but that's still in my 40s. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's not going to impact on me to the point where I look younger than my age. 
That's the sad no. thing. No, we got dark hair as well, though. Like, my hair's gone quite grey now. But I looked in the mirror yesterday and I thought, oh, that's, that's taken a lot of years off me. And then I looked at myself again and I thought, you still look over 40, though, mate. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't pass for 30, or anything. Kay looks a lot younger than she is. How old is so, Gaddy, if it's not in gallant to ask? Well, she's 42, but okay. I mean, she was... No, she, yeah, well, she was considerably younger than you. Yeah. I yes. mean, I, I think you look more like her dad than her husband. Well, yeah. that, that has happened more than one occasion. <laughs> I, I, well, yeah, I thought, I thought it was you and your three kids getting out of the car at rugby <laughs> the other day. <laughs> my eldest daughter's in university. She's back from university. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. My two kids from my second marriage. <laughs> that is what it looks so like. Desperately good. chased my youth. <laughs> There she is. Oh, Izzy's just delivered you some lunch. Yeah. Mate. Uh, no, no fucking about. What you got? It's a halloumi avocado. Oh, fuck it. Off. <laughs> Roll. Of course it is. Fuck off. That is not a response to someone's lunch choice <laughs> in any decent well, it's a workplace. It's from a, from a cafe. It's, it's from a cafe that's up the road from where I live. In any decent workplace environment, when someone describes their lunch and you go, fuck off, yeah, no. that's, brings, that's not acceptable. Who brings in halloumi and rocket fucking sandwiches from, from the delicatessen up where, near where you live when you're in your own house? Well, because... Make yourself a dairy sandwich, you fucking weirdo. Because I'm working, I know, Mike. <laughs> I'm in the workplace and if Izzy wasn't here, if Izzy hadn't thought well, that... I just had six pink wafers for lunch. <laughs> well, I had three Welsh From cakes. my kitchen. I didn't, this is a surprise, because he worries about me. I had three Welsh cakes, so I thought that would be fine. I'll sort something else out afterwards. The surprise is, mate, that you're from Carmarthen and you're having halloumi and rocket sandwich with... from the deli oh, for lunch. Mike, it's 2021. To go down with your Guatemalan hand-ground coffee that you've been sipping on from your fucking big cone. People from Carmarthen have tried avocados now. Halloumi is... It's part of the scene. They, they've still got internet cafes in Carmarthen, <laughs> mate. The saying, you can email from yeah. here, I'm sorry. And you can send a fax abroad. Dear, oh dear, halloumi and rocket. Halloumi, not halloumi. Halloumi! Halloumi. No, I'm sorry, sorry, Bobon. Oh, sorry, Bobon. <laughs> Bourbon is what I would say. Bourbon. Bourbon. Do you want to have more Welsh doing that as well? Hey, when I think Bourbon, biscuit. I like a Bourbon. It's not two words with a nap in between. Okay, Bourbon. Nap in between. Bourbon. Stop it. I can't, I don't know how I say it. It's absolutely nap. Bourbon. Bob you're biscuit. Are you going off you if I count a bob one? I'll have a bob one then, please. I, I can't be bothered with a final if I count. Shut up! No, you shut up! Club do you want? I have a club. Yeah. What club do you want? Orange or green? <laughs> do you mean mint? <laughs> Orange or green. Oh, mint clubs, they're like the darker chocolate. Yeah, a nice plain club I want. Nice plain club and a boiled egg. That's better. That's the lunch you should be yeah, having. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, only fucking airs and graces with a halloumi and rocket halloumi. sandwich nice in the Nice playing club, boiled egg. I want and I want a, cu- a cup of water. Can I have a cup of water with my, with my lunch, with my dinner now, please? Boiled egg and crisp salad. Yeah. Hell, do you want to swap back lunches with me? What you got? I got jam sandwiches. I got jam sandwiches of Viscount. And a, and a Satsuma, what you got? A trio, I a got a Lumiere rocket on pumpernickel rye. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking truffle. Truffle. And some, um, some, some mango. And a Guatemalan coffee and a Transformers thermos. 
you'd sweat. Can, can I can I this now, please? I got an a I got an A team flask, and I got a He Man flask as well. But I got a, I got Panamania and Keisha beans with a lot of personality to make the coffee. So it's sort of the beans have got a lot of personality, hey. and so does the flask. Like. <laughs> What's the taste of notes like on your on your on your orange squash? <laughs> what tastes like e-numbers and water? I do drink a lot of squash. Don't get in America, do you? No. It's really hard on my system. Do you want some grape juice? Fucking grape juice? Just give me some fucking squash. You go and try and get squash That's over right. there. Give me some, some squash. So aggressive to your sister. We jet lagged in this conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you want to stir fucking three scoops of powder into a, into fucking a gallon of water? No, just give me a fucking pint of squash. That's all I want. The fuck are you doing? Was it a hard flight, Mike? <laughs> and then you asked for a squash, I gave you a fucking gourd. It's like a fucking big marrow. Yeah. <laughs> a big orange marrow. Good luck drinking after a seven-hour flight. What I want is... A, I do love... A, I've moved on from Ribena because of all the sugar, so I've moved on to uh, um, Robinson's orange squash. No? Lovely. Yeah, but it's no no added sugar though, isn't it? Yeah, ram ram full of aspartame. Oh yeah, oh yeah, you got to think about that, haven't you? Mm. Oh, you want is a pint of water with a splash of apple juice, nice. But don't drink too much apple juice; you will shit yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I go mad about it in the states. Little things like that, like squash. You got like you can't get just a pint of squash. Yeah, everything's got to be a palaver. Everything's got to be a palaver over there. And they say things wrong. They just do. I'm not. I'm not the usual hack aluminum stuff. We all know that. Yeah. I had a kebab the other day, right? Right. Over there, they call them kebabs. <laughs> yeah, and they say twat kebab. instead of twat. They say kebab. They say twat. Yeah. Twat for twat. That's nuts, there. You twat. Hey man, she's playing with her twat. <laughs> You're a fucking twat saying that. Twat. You fucking twat. She's got a twat bot 3000, man, and she's going for it big time. She's got a twat bot. Twat <laughs> Just chewing on a kebab. Oh. Fucking kebab, my ass. A kebab. Oh, they say pasta. Fuck off. Pasta. They don't say that in Italy. Pasta. Pasta. Hey, do you want some uh, tuna, tuna pasta? I like pasta. I like it with. Tomato ketchup and fuck all else. <laughs> That's what I want. Heinz tomato sauce, red sauce and pasta. It's been boiling for 25, 30 minutes. And then in the bowl then with a nice fork, just mixing it all in. And a I nice eat that. Fork. Have you got the ravioli that comes in a tin by Heinz? <laughs> that looks like spiders or cushions. Have you got that? Ravioli looks like spiders or cushions. <laughs> can I have some beans, but with sausage in the beans? Yeah, like in a tin? on toast. Over there, you can buy like a breakfast in a tin. Lush. And in there, there's an egg. There's like chocolate. There's a Heinz egg. version of that. London Grill or something. Lush. Is quite, yeah. Jesus Christ. You, it used to be the Heinz all day breakfast. I'd tin. have that on yes, toast every list. day of the week. I do crave. I mean, they don't piss about with the breakfast over there. Because I, I love streaky, crispy bacon. Crispy bacon and pancakes. Who wants to eat a pancake first thing? Oh, lush. I love a pancake. Oh, it is nice. No. But I Ricicles <laughs> and then a glass of lemonade and I'm ready for school then. Kel was in London the other day. Kel was in London, so I gave Ben for breakfast. He was loving life. It was just a massive cream cake. <laughs> <laughs> Elliot, Elliot an Oreo donut and Ben had a massive cream cake. If you don't finish that, that custard it. slice, you are not going to rugby. <laughs> my daughter loves pot noodles. I feel like an awful dad giving my daughter a pot noodle. 
Yeah. Well, the other day I had a hangover and I, cr- I was craving a pot noodle. <laughs> oh, tour update. Oh, come on. Uh, 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 so, live merch. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to sell it pre-order. I agree with all this of this. Is the way I'm going to do it. my role and put myself on you, mute as you're talking. Right, you... you <laughs> I broadly agree with any business decisions you make on air <laughs> while I eat my halloumi. Yeah, the halloumi and rocket. This is a little insight we'll... into how our meetings normally work. <laughs> Ellis just goes, yeah. I agree. Yeah. But I'm very He's hungry. usually eating a, a scotch egg and we're talking yeah. about business. <laughs> a six-weeter mix while we crack on. So, so, basically, so that we don't have to charge everybody a silly amount of money... For well, the venues want to charge us a lot of money to yes. sell stuff there. Yeah. And we'll have to pass that cost on, otherwise it's costing us money to sell it. it yeah, we actually wouldn't make any money out of the, out of the tour. You'd, so you'd be, you'd be paying more, and then we'd get nothing out of it. Yeah. So it's a double lose. Yeah, But this exactly. way, it's a this double way, win. it's cheaper for you guys, and we actually make a bit of money out of it. So... Not enough. Not, no, yeah. I didn't set the price point. No, again, I think you were eating during that meeting and just nodded. <laughs> So as a result of that, as a result of me muting both Ellis and Mike during the meetings, <laughs> the tour merch won't be as expensive as it would have been. So we're going to stick yeah. it on pre-order. We'll send it out to you in time for you to go to the tour with the merch on. Yeah. That's the plan, yeah. okay? So if you go to distantpod.com uh, slash shop, up there is the tour merch. We've got a is couple of... It, 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 will it, when this comes out, yeah. when this, this comes out, it will be there ready and waiting for you. There is a full kit wanker bundle in there. Oh, yes. There is a half kit wanker bundle in there as well. Class. So have a look through them. I like the tour t-shirt. Big fan of that. Big fan of the half and half scarf. Yes, nice kit, mate. I have a fair play. It is. I've seen it all. It's lovely stuff. For those of you who are completists, there is a new bobble hat. And there will be a programme. I'm currently compiling the programme. Yes. And it is going to be a cracking read. Is going to be off the scale. Whatever. There's going to be features. Scale of programming is quizzes. Yes. Um, photo strips. A word search. A cartoon. Word searches. Any sex in there, Mike? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a centerfold. <laughs> just me. It's me doing a Christine Keeler in the middle, but with my cock and balls out, just poking through the hole in the chair. <laughs> staples appropriately positioned. Yeah, right. Staples right through my meat and two veg. I'm going to recreate the Wimbledon poster. I love the knicker block on Wembley Way. Just scratching my ass on a play, on a tennis on a tennis court, which apparently was the uh, Birmingham University tennis court. Was so it? Got in touch. We can do it over the park oh. by me. Oh, do it, do it. No one get arrested. It'll be fine. Do it in the park by you. That's got a, like a splash pad for for under for under sixes. Yeah. Well, no, but they got the beach volleyball the other side, which that that is the biggest change of anything in the world, where they went from it being a bowls club to being a yeah. beach volleyball venue That's within a great, week. I love the old farts not to realise and come back in whites <laughs> to be confronted by that. I love beach volleyball. That's a nice club, that. Joe, we had a lot of our um, kids' birthday parties there. They're absolutely good as gold in there. They are. They're lovely people in there. They are a good bunch. And the sand is treated with some stuff so that cats don't piss in it. Is it? Yeah. I wonder why they've got no problem with that. Yeah. No. Don't stop humans pissing in it. Not absolutely. I'll tell you that for free. <laughs> <laughs> Many a time on the way home. I know that for a fact. <laughs> You can shit in there with Gay Abandoned. <laughs> oh, dear God. The program will be great, though, mate. I've got some. I've got a lot of little features. I, I don't want to spoil it, but people will will like the program. I'm sure they will. So distantpod.com slash shop 
is where you can go for the tour merch. Get it before you get to the By tour. the way, I'm not going to be snobby about this. I, I haven't discussed this with you, but I might as well just tell the punters. Oh, this, is, this is always nice. Surprise me. Too. Obviously, we want as many people as possible to come to the tour. That'd be nice, yeah. Obviously. Yeah. I think it'd be a great day, great yeah. evening. Yep. Um, if you can't come, you can still buy the tour stuff. Oh, yeah. Not, you know, everyone that you see wearing a Ramones t-shirt hasn't seen the Ramones live. That's fair. That's a, that's a very good point. Every time you see a 13-year-old kid wearing a Guns N' Roses t-shirt, they weren't he there. hasn't been to see Guns N' Roses. Yeah. Yeah, my eldest got a Nirvana t-shirt. Yeah. Don't, I don't even think he had tickets for the Newport gig. I remember the day he came home when he'd blown his brains out, old, old uh, Kirk Cobain. <laughs> 1994. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's besides the point. <laughs> the end of an anecdote. <laughs> <laughs> came home, found out he was dead. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> but it is a nice kit. It is. So what are we doing? So we're doing a, a t-shirt, a scarf, uh, a hat, hat. Hats key nice. rings. Okay. There is a lot of gear there, mate. So have a look at it. Uh, it's available for pre-order now, and we will get it to you before the live gigs. So, but as Mike says, you don't have to go to a live gig to buy the t-shirt. A Wankatron 3000 as well. <laughs> Documentary choice for this week is you, Mike. I watched this about four weeks ago on the bike. Um, I've, been, I've been meaning to watch it for a while and I, and I hadn't got around to it. This is a, called Mr. Calzaghi. It's his choice to be a boxer, not me. He knew himself how good he was. Boxing is my way of escaping and I'm in self-worth. Introducing Fighting Pride of Newbridge, Wales, Joe Kazagi. You've got an open class boy there. That means very special. Joe Kazaki, he really got something going for him. Superb flurry of punches. This is what I want. Joe gave me the power to see if I can be a trainer. People think of the see what Joe Kazaki is all about. It's stressful for him as well. It's not like training any other fight. He trained his son. He chose to go to war. I chose to be with him. Joe Calzaghi's father lifts him high. His style of boxes was unique. I actually doubted myself. I was scared of failure. This is a bad patch for Calzaghi. God tests everybody. It's what's inside of you that counts most of all. If you get knocked down, you get back. You refuse to lose. Calzaghi's throwing punches by the dozen. Trash me! Trash me! Trash me! That one came from nowhere! He's a one and only. Joe Calzaghi in sizzling style! So it's a documentary about, obviously... Joe Calzaghi, uh, about his uh, life, about his boxing career, uh, and in great part about where he's from and about his dad and the relationship between father and son. Um, I absolutely loved this doc. I've never met Joe Calzaghi. I never got to meet his dad, obviously. Um, I mentioned the gym the other day. I just love that gym. Mm. Um, From what I can gather from it, and you you probably know a lot more about this story than I do, Steph, is Joe was a very, very talented boxer as a young man. His father didn't really want to go into boxing, but was 
doing what dads do, and that's supporting their kids. Joe's coach then essentially leaves him, rather than his son getting with the coach he didn't know or give up boxing. Joe's dad, with no background in boxing really, says, well, I'll coach you. And then teaches himself to coach, coaches Joe, and then Joe goes on to be multiple world champion, undefeated in his entire boxing career. And for my money, especially after watching this, which reinforced it for me, mm. Britain's greatest ever boxer, mm. which is not bad for a, for a coach who's who never coached before he coached Joe. And I just, I just found the whole documentary remarkable. I found the relationship with his dad really touching. Yeah, I found the bit with Kessler really touching. Yeah. We talk about sport. The bit when he sat there with Michael Kessler watching the Kessler fight. Yeah. I thought, how nice. It, they, uh, that was one of the best bits of documentary I've seen in the I last I was going to say exactly that. the same. Of all the documentaries we've watched, that bit where they watch that fight yeah. together is one of my favourite sequences ever. There's an extended version of that that was on the DVD, which I'll dig yeah. out for you both and send over. It's absolutely spectacular. It, people always talk about boxers becoming friends after a fight. So for people who don't know, Mikel Kessler was held two of the super middleweight belts. And Joe held the other one. He had held the IBF before, but it was the you know it was whoever won that was the best one in the world. It yeah. was at the Millennium Stadium. For them to have gone through that and actually genuinely have come out the other side of it, mates, I think is well. This is the thing. We go back to the top of the top of the show. We talked about um, my problem with Conor McGregor, right? Mm. I mean, there, I went to the weirdly. I went to the weigh-in for this fight, the yeah. Kessler fight. I think I mentioned on here before. I've never seen a bloke as ripped as Mikel Kessler was for that. He, yeah. I couldn't believe he was the weight that he was. He must have had the last part of the way and he came on naked. He did, take he? Had to take his underpants off. Yeah. And they put a towel around him because he was right on the limit. But he was he was shredded, ripped. And there was a bit of, in the presses before, you know, there was the usual sort of uh, war of words or whatever. And you can do all that and I get it. But after the fight, there was nothing but respect from both of them. And to see him now, like, 10 And years, it must have been very hard for Kessler to watch that fight because he loses it. That's what I like, because he says at the end, doesn't he, at the end of that little sequence, he says, I don't normally like watching back fights that I've lost, but yeah. that was all right. I enjoyed that. And I don't... I'm not... I love boxing, and I, and I, I know a bit about it. I'm not an expert by a long stretch of imagination. But I've had, I've had talks with people before who've knocked Kalzaghi as a fighter. He's always a slapper. Go and ask that the people that he's knocked out for one thing, right? If I got Chris Eubank there telling me how hard he hits, yeah. If that's okay with you, I'll take Chris Eubank's word for it. Right? <laughs> yes. I think Chris Eubank's one of the toughest fighters we've ever produced in this country. What does he say? He goes, um, lead in his hands. Yeah. Yeah, he said, he said I, I flew backwards so hard that I missed the seat of my pants. Oh. I landed on my back. Yeah. And Eubank was solid, right? Absolutely. was a cracking boxer, Chris Eubank. And I think. What happened, I, I don't know enough, but I think as Joe's career went on, then his hands, he did have a lot of problems with his hands. Towards the second part of his career, then yeah, he, he wasn't punching the same way he punched in the early, but you wouldn't watch Joe when his, when his hands were, were fit and healthy. You wouldn't watch him in those Eubank fights and say he was a slapper, not mm-hmm. by a long way, right? So what he had to do, which I found really impressive, when he knew he had that weakness that had, that had developed in his hands, he then had to change his boxing style. He then had to fight around that weakness and then he was still undefeated and was still world champion. I mean, it was incredible. The, the one fight I watched when he broke his hand early doors and he wins a fight with one hand, yeah. literally for like eight rounds or something. I can't remember how long he boxed with one hand for. Watching the way he trained, 
just going to, it's the last time I mentioned McGregor, right? But someone put a quote up from, I think it was maybe Marvin Hankler or some, one of the greats. And it says, hard to get up at five o'clock in the morning yeah. when you've been sleeping in silk sheets, right? What I love about Calzaghe is no matter what he's done, it was all done in that same gym yeah. with his dad, pound on the streets around where he, where he lives. Where he grew come up. Come back that, 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 yeah, that crappy little, I don't mean crappy as in not good. I mean, it looks crappy. <laughs> yeah. Little boxing club by, a rug, by the rugby post, you know, and just put the hard work in, you know. And, and then that bit at the end when there's like a drone shot and there's the family there, I think, great. And they, and they say Joe still lives in the place where he grew up. He's, he's not, he hasn't, doesn't seem to have changed as a bloke. I don't know him. There was a thing on recently when he was dancing around the subject of maybe having a comeback fight, which I hope he doesn't do, right? Yeah. And he's on about doing it as an exhibition because Tyson did that one. And I just think it, I'm, I'm not telling Joe Kazaki what to do. But it's such a unique record. To, to have yeah. boxed like that for that long, mm. unbeaten, I just leave it there, mate. I mean, if it was up to me. I think, is it Thomas Hauser at the end, the American boxing journalist, who says... I can count on the fingers of one hand yeah. yep. the boxers who had a long career like Joe who have left with their money, with mm. their pride and with their faculties mm. intact. Mm. And the fact is, he's is it, was it 46 and 0. I know. And, it's incredible. And so it's perfect and you can't improve on perfect. So just, yeah, I on, I re- really And the other thing that gets level against him was not fighting the big Americans in their prime. Yeah. But we talked about this on this, on this pod before. That's not down to him. No, they wouldn't fight him. Right. He never ducked a fight. And what bothers me with Joe, or what bothers me about Joe's critics, is they will say, well, he fought Eubank at the end of his career. Yeah, he was still dangerous. He never fought Steve Collins. Well, Steve Collins retired. Yeah, Steve Collins retired rather than fight him. Yeah, he fought the only people who were willing to fight him, and he he won. And I think with Joe, he did get his... Career-defining fights at the end of his career. But then Jeff Lacey, I mean, was a hell of a fight. Yeah, and, was... and then Kessler, and then obviously Hopkins and Roy Jones, which were yeah. all at the what end of his career. I was going to say, if I mean, you're going like... to have four defining fights, those are four good ones. Yeah, there we go. I was left for fighting good boxers. <laughs> the bit with him and his old man. His, his old man's a charismatic bloke, isn't he? I mean, bloody hell. He was, I know he's sadly no longer with us, mm. and that must have been a hammer blow to Joe, right? Mm. But yeah, I, I didn't realise all that stuff. I found that fascinating about his old man coming over like, from Sardinia and he wanted to be in a band and singing and playing the guitar and wanted to be a musician. And then yeah. he has this sort of bohemian travel around Europe and ends up in Newport. He says, I arrived in South Wales, I met Jackie, and then four weeks later we were married. And I had to That's rewind crazy, it a couple it? of times. Four weeks yeah. later. Yeah. What, yeah. I find, what I find amazing is that first, it was Paul Williams who was his coach when he was a kid at Newbridge Boxing Club, retired. So then Enzo said, because Enzo had worked with Paul, but Paul had, Enzo had never been a boxing coach. He's self-taught. You look at his record. So Joe Kazaki, he's world champion at super middleweight and light heavyweight. Enzo McInerney, cruiserweight, world champion, yep. WBU, WBO and EBU. Then you've got Gavin Reese, who was featherweight, light welterweight. Nathan Cleverly won all those titles. Bradley Price, Gary Lockett. I mean, for a, he's done pretty well for a for a self-taught from Sardinian singer. A, yeah, for a, a <laughs> yeah. self-taught boxing coach, he he became um, Ring Magazine Trainer of the Year. Enzo, yeah, amazing. It's amazing. I mean, that, like I said, for my money, Joe's the best British boxer, and he's got a shout of being. Just look at the record. He's got a shout of being the best boxer, right? Not just in Britain, 
but what yeah, what his dad did is is not equally impressive, but it's I mean it's unbelievably impressive what his old man did. That's why I like I like the sort of ambiguous title of it as well though. Because it's called Mr. Calzaghi. Yeah, that's true, actually, mate. I didn't think of that. As you watch it, I'm not 100% sure whether it is just Joe's story or whether mm. they are telling sort of both. And that's not negative. I think that's positive of the story. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The relationship between Joe and his dad, I think, is it's beautiful at times. You know, even like the tiny little thing like of a grown man kissing his dad on the lips. Love it. I just absolutely adore, I always adore that about them. And then Joe's relationship with his boys in there as well. well it's a very Welsh-Italian thing as well, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think we do share a lot of common ground with the Italians. I think there's a lot of Italians in Wales. I love going to Italy. I think it's probably my second favourite place in the world. But like with, with my boy now, I, I, give, I kiss my kids every day. I kiss, yeah. my, you know, I kiss my son every day. I, I read in the paper some, what was it, a couple of, couple of years ago now. I can't remember who it was. And there was a big story that he kissed his son on the lips. Yeah, I was like, "So what? It's his son. He lo- you know, you can't describe that love that you've got for your, for your kid." Exactly. Flipping heck, I, I I give my, and he's eleven now, going to big school and stuff. And all right, I don't kiss him on the school gates anymore because he's there with his mates. <laughs> Fuck off, that. I love it. When I, Fuck <laughs> off it's that. like no, and I got I got to leave him like half a mile from the school, and he's got to go with his mates and do his his thing. But yeah, I hope I hope he's never too big for me to give him a bloody, put my arm around his neck and give him a big kiss. Well, because there's no reason for it to not happen, is there? I'm afraid that, uh, uh, there's something said on the British Empire with us kissing our bloody children, Mike. I, <laughs> I mean, I've got, I've got to go on. You, you, you know, in 1913, you know, the South Wales coal field providing 25% of the, of the, of the world's coal. That, that didn't come with us kissing our bloody sons on the bloody lips, if you I wonder me, when you right? go back, go back those arseholes rioting, right? How many of their dads put their arm around them, told them they loved them? Just every and now and then, just said, I love you. Just kissed them. Yeah. Well, I bet not many of them. It's the bit with Joe there. I mean, it, and his sisters as well. The bit with his sons, mate. When they're there, what? That's the bo- a tough thing to watch. I love those boys. Yeah. Oh, they're cracking kids, aren't they? The two of them. That bit at the end, spoiler alert, when he comes in, and he, he's been listening to the, the way they talk about their dad, when he comes in and puts an arm around them both, mm. and they're all filling up, I thought, oh, fucking hell, this is so good. Yeah. 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 It's so nice. Isn't it? And that's what that's what a bloke should be. This is not, not. I'm not being a sexist when I say this. Is you should this you should be tough when you need to be tough, and you should be sweet when, when you need to be sweet. And that's the, and that's the for me. That's a proper man. If you want to talk about being a man, yeah, being a man mate, is is the bloke who can go in a ring, be an undefeated world champion, the two weights, you know, mm. and can put his arms around his kids, yeah, tell him he loves them, and give him a kiss. I mean, that's what it should be. I think, and his old man did it to him, and his granddad did it to him. Watching it back, I I can't think of a boxer I've emotionally invested in more than Joe Kazagi. I absolutely worship Joe Kazagi. I still do. Yeah. And I went out yeah. to Vegas, as I've said before, to watch him fight Bernard Hopkins, and watching him watching him have those career defining fights, it brought it all back. How nervous I used to get beforehand because of the weight. Of the zero of the O in his losses column, it just puts such huge pressure on him. If he'd lost his third professional fight, it wouldn't have been that bad, or his or his fourth professional fight, or whatever. But he'd got so far unbeaten by the time he was fighting Hopkins and Lacey and Kessler 
and Roy Jones. You were just desperate for him not to throw it away. The, the thing from this documentary that does come across is something I've tried to describe to people down the years, which is Enzo Calzaghi. I, love I owe Enzo so much in my career because he was very generous to me and let me be around that gym far too much, far more Brilliant. than you know a journalist should be allowed to be around a gym. But just the personality of the man. He was just so welcoming, but also just hilarious to be around. Conversations would go from being like a nice conversation to being a really aggressive conversation to being the one. T- the first time I went there, I turned up with a cup of tea from the. There was a snack van because it's on an industrial estate. That gym. So there's a rugby club course, down the bottom course. of an industrial estate. But I turned up with a cup of tea, and he went mad at me, and just went, "What are you doing? Why are you coming to my house? You coming into my house with a cup of tea? Would I come into your house with a cup of tea? I'm gonna make you a cup of tea." I was like, okay, cool. I thought I was imposing on you. And he just picked yeah. up my cup of tea, threw it out the door, and then made me a proper cup of tea. And then I turned up with biscuits because he, t- he told me off once for not turning up with anything. So I, t- so I turned up with biscuits the next time. And he went, I've got fucking boxes trying to make weight. What are you doing? Bringing biscuits in here. And it, just lovely testing of the journalist just to see what you yeah. were made of. I found it fascinating, mate, that bit when, because he's got a musical background. Oh yeah, talking about when the jabs. About training, yeah, yeah, training with like a musical tempo. Yeah, and he was he was talking about boxing in, in terms of music. I found that fascinating that bit. But they used to have it was, it was you couldn't understand it if you were into boxing. He would go do the A's now, Joe, and that would be a certain pattern of punching. He go okay. ABC ABC, and that would be a different thing. Well, also on all the bits, and we're all dads. He said, I can't be his dad when, when I'm in the ring. Oh, yeah. I can't think I like that. that very because he's, he's going to, he's basically, he's going to war. Yeah. I've got to, if I don't do my job properly, he's going to get hurt. So I, I can't be his dad in the ring. God, that must be, that must be so difficult. Because it's not like they, they don't get on. They seem to get on tremendously well. And there's the deep love there between the two of them. And then to, to do that, when Eubank talks about, he didn't want Chris Eubank Jr. to be a boxer, did he? He didn't, he didn't want that to happen. But when he says, you know, I want to, I'm going to do it, Dad. Well, okay, well, then let me be in your corner. Yeah. Let me train you because I know what it's like. But, I mean, but, but Endo didn't even have that. He'd never been in a ring. He'd never been a boxer. He didn't know what it was like. But he knew his boy. Yeah. And he knows psychology. I think he's yeah. very underrated in that way where he sometimes, he's the only person that Joe would listen to because Joe was incredibly talented. Mm. So... The majority of people, you know, he's better than. Yeah, well, I always think that when you listen, a lot of times you listen to people giving you advice, and you think, well, hang on a minute, mate, I know more than yeah, you. That's I'm better than I'm you are at this. Yeah. yeah. So having his dad in the corner, just going, well, the bit where he says, you know, you're throwing it away, and there's a couple of sort of little bits in the corner. Listen to me, listen to me. That's brilliant. Yeah. Just scream. And then there's some really sensible ones as They've well. They've got great access, mate, for this. For this there talk. are also some, yeah, there are some shots. Or camera angles of the boxers close up, which you don't see on the telly, and I think it's 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 a better insight into how hard they're hitting and how how hard oh, they're yeah. being hit. And you see it in the slow motion, where Joe's face just his Christ. skeleton goes up, so the sort of the bones go upwards, but the face stays down. I mean, there's tough sports people and there's there's boxers, you know, who get up at five in the morning and do stupid amounts of road work and then stupid amounts of bag work. And then loads of flexibility, and then have to make a weight which must be brutal. Yeah. Also, get physically beaten up while they're trying to beat somebody else up. There's, there's no test like it, is there? I don't think there's a test like it in sport. 
And for, for, for that to be your son in there, I, I, was, I was watching that thinking about, if, you know, if Ben wanted to be a yeah, boxer. Yeah, I couldn't do it. I'd be like Joe's mother who never watched any of his fights. That, well, that's fascinating, isn't it? His mother never went to a single fight. I felt very sorry for his sons who used to beg him not to do it. I was amazed that Joe was bullied at school. And then 40 of, them, of his bullies turn up on bikes outside his house. And his father says, all right, then come in, but one by one, and he'll that. beat you all up. If you, you, can, you can come in one I by one. I absolutely love that. Come in, you fuckers. Imagine bullying a boxer. What sort of nutcase would do that? I love the way his old man speaks. I mean, they, you, I mean cause I'm, weirdly, because I'm Welsh, I can understand him, even though he's speaking with a Sardinian accent. A lot of people would need subtitles to, yeah. to understand what... As yeah. I was saying a lot of the time. But and I also love the fact that at various points during the documentary, he mouths the F word and then he starts the sentence after that with motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a very likeable guy, though, Joe Kazaki. Very humble bloke. You know, when you think of his God-given talent and his record and the people he's beaten... To still be humble is pretty, is pretty impressive, actually. Imagine being the British schoolboy champion... And people in school are picking on you. Yeah, mad. Because you've decided to be a boxer. That's mad. And because you're the only kid in class who's got a slightly un-Welsh background as well. Yeah, I I was quite disappointed about that as a a Welsh bloke watching it. I felt quite upset that he was getting picked on because he had a a foreign name. Yeah, my dad said that, though, when he was growing up, sort of Swansea Valley, having the Portuguese surname, that was, you know... Not the norm, so you really? did get you did get picked on because he wasn't a Davis or a Lewis. Because that was what most of the immigration in the South Wales Valleys was was mm. European immigration, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, I think you know Cardiff Docks area would have been far more diverse in terms of the immigration. Yes, yeah. Whereas I think the valleys areas was Italian, Spanish, Portuguese, Southern Europe. Yeah, I just got called hilarious stuff like hubba bubba and bubblegum and bubblicious. Hubba Bubba. And my dad's Bobby Bubbins. Imagine that. Well, <laughs> thanks, thanks, Bubba Dad. Thanks, guys. <laughs> we'll go back to his sons first. Yes. That bit, and I think at the end he sort of promised them that that was going to be his last fight. Almost like Ricky bloody Schroeder in uh, in the champ, in it, with John Voigt. <laughs> yeah. And, th- and then thank God it was his last fight. Yeah. He, he retires undefeated. And that's why I hope he doesn't go back. I hope he doesn't, don't care if it's an exhibition. He, he's got, He's got nothing to prove, Joe, has he? He's got absolutely zero to prove. He's our best ever boxer, and he's undefeated at two different weights and at one point at all the belts. So I mean, you've got nothing to prove to anybody, mate. It felt like a home game when Joe fought in Vegas because, you know, there were 10,000 Welsh fans. There's so there. many Welsh there. Hmm. Do they have tickets? They all, do they all get in or were they just there? For yeah, the yeah. yeah. No, 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 I think the majority in. of, yeah. But I, I know some people who didn't go to the fight because it was about six in the evening or seven in the evening. It was quite early. And I know people who didn't think that it was that time and got pissed. <laughs> uh, went all the way to Vegas and just got drunk a mile well, away. Well, they thought he was going to be on like a midnight. Yeah, something. so they just got drunk and turned up late. Oh, good. Oh, I, yeah. I did that with Dr. Hook. <laughs> Same thing. Me and Kelly had tickets for Dr. Hook. In, interesting. I interviewed uh, Dennis LaCorrie. I was like, it did. He did come through. He didn't do a Toshak. What a nice fella. And he was on about, he was very upfront about the fact that, you know, they basically blew all their money, ended up bankrupt. He said, because, you know. Um, but he was just a thoroughly, thoroughly nice bloke, Dennis LaCorrie. Yeah. But when I went to see him uh, doing hot chocolate a couple of years ago, I think it said, the ticket said like eight o'clock. I said, well, listen, there's no major rush, you know. There's going to be a support band on first. Then they're going to, 
Um, then there'd be an interval. Then they'll get on. I said, so, you know, as long as you're there by half eight, quarter to nine, we'll be fine, right? So I get there like 20 past eight. Walk in there. It's like 28 days later. There's no one there. <laughs> this is weird. I'm in the reception of St. David's. So the woman says, excuse me, um, I'm in the right place for the the doctor gig. Yeah. I said, where is everyone? Well, they're in the gig. I said, well, they started. Yeah. I said, oh, shit, was there a sport band? No. So 8 o'clock, he starts. That's it. If he says 8 yeah. o'clock on a ticket, he's playing that fucking guitar at 8, 8 p.m. Bang. So I missed five tracks, oh. 20 minutes of the gig. Yeah. There was no support act. There was no warm-up. There was nothing. That's good. He came on stage. They sound checked in the day and eight o'clock. What time did he finish? Do you remember? Nine thirty. Twenty-five past. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <At> half nine. <laughs> oh what a shit! I'll never make that mistake again. No. Never. There's some bands that don't put the time on because they they they've been support acts. Yeah. Uh, and they think this is not fair. The support yeah. act. We've been the support act when no one's turned up to watch us, and they turn up two minutes before. The, so I, I should have gone when at eight o'clock. I, I, I you know, I learned less than that. This sounds like it's a made-up story or an apocryphal story, but I did see this outside the venue in Vegas. Come on, where <laughs> the VIP entrance is, was right next to one of the normal entrances. So there's all these Wales fans queuing up, and there is Cat <laughs> Dealey, Simon Cowell. And Andrew Lloyd Webber queuing up to get in. Dealey and Cowell get in, and Andrew Lloyd Webber's ticket isn't on the oh, wow. VIP list. So he's kicking off big time. He's shouting, he's saying, You know, I, I need to get in here. He's need, singing you know, all his hits. He's doing Cats, Evita, Starlight Express. And three very pissed Welsh guys just start barracking him. You know, come on, come on, Andrew, come on now, come on, That's come on, so chill, chill out, chill out. And then one of them, you can see the penny drop in his head. He goes, Andrew, there's no need to make a fucking song and dance about it, but <laughs> And immediately, he is king of the world. You've never seen That's anyone happier heckle. with a one-liner That's... in their lives. Don't blame him. And all of his mates are like, yeah! Oh, <laughs> you would die now to that for, certainly for the rest happen? of the night. Repeating it, it becomes slightly less funny every time. <laughs> yeah, you see him at two in the morning, and then I said to him, "No need to make a song and dance about it." <laughs> oh, oh, I don't know. A dancing song about it. <laughs> dancing, dancing, dancing dance. song. Oh, that was the other thing. On that bloody football the other day, they kept showing these two uh, big women who were England fans in red shirts with cowboy hats on, right? Yeah. We're doing that fucking. They've. Uh, They've ruined that Neil Diamond song for me, by the way, right? Sweet Caroline. I'll never listen to it again. But these two women, and they're close up on the two of them as well. They've obviously had a few sherbets. Yeah. I mean, drinks. Hands touching hands, reaching out. And then she goes, touching you, touching me. I thought, fuck, no. everyone knows it's not that. It's the other everyone way around in the world knows it's touching me, touching you. <laughs> How do you not know that? <laughs> touching you, touching, touching me. me. Now, the story of that um, song becoming a thing, though, I think is fascinating. Well, it was Boston Red Sox. So was the it? guy on the tannoy there realised that people were singing along to it one time when he played it and then started playing it regularly during the break in between innings at a certain point in the night and then it becomes a thing there. Northern Ireland fans took it from there. Frampton fans... Took it from the Northern Ireland fans. Ah. Matchroom went, this works. Put it on at all of their boxing events. Because I remember Carl Froch fans singing it. 
And I assumed it had come from boxing. Uh, no, so then Frotch and Anthony Joshua, all of those fans then have it at theirs, and then it's come across to the England football team from there. So good, so good, so good. <laughs> Singing it at Anthony Joshua fights is great. Yeah. Me. Well, I sang it. I sang it at a Neil Diamond gig, and that was okay. So good, so good. Sorry, Neil. Sorry. <laughs> That's up there with. I went to go and see a tragically hip gig. Yeah. And the fellow was recording it, not on his phone, on his iPad. <laughs> He's holding up like a fourteen-inch iPad for the whole gig. What's with the phone thing at sporting events? Will they ever watch it again? Is my Christ knows. No, they no. won't, and it'll look shit when you show anyone else as well. No, but you see it, yeah, at gigs. What are you going to do? Get all your mates around to watch the tragically hip gig that you've filmed on your iPad. It's the equivalent of showing slides after you've been on holiday. <laughs> Bang on. Getting people to come round. Does anyone, does anyone do that? This is us at the departure lounge. Or when we went to Sorrento? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Note the giant Toblerone that Roy is eating, which he bought from the WH Smiths at Terminal 2. When I was in Toronto, I met a friend. My girlfriend at the time's father was a professor in political science. So we had lots of interesting friends. Like he was friends with uh, Pierre Trudeau, you know, who'd been the yeah. president of Canada and stuff. But there was one, I think his name was Arnold. That's wonderful. Was Arnold Bruner? I can't remember his name anyway. But, um, he was a fascinating bloke. He was a he was a, a lecturer, and but back in the day, oh, he, sorry, he wasn't. He was he was a lawyer. He retrained to be a lawyer. Before that, he'd been a photojournalist. So I did genuinely go to his house one evening because he was a really interesting bloke anyway. To look at his slides, which sounds like it does, <laughs> does sound awful. Is that what you do? Okay. But fucking hell, he was right on the front line in the Six Day War. Really? Oh wow! So he had all these. He had these amazing photographs of like. Um, downed fighter jets and, mm. and like temporary bridges over the river and refugees and I mean he was right there and then, and then he'd been to the catacombs in Jerusalem you know before it all got shut down and you weren't allowed in there so his slides yeah. he was a professional photographer working for one of the big wire services and his, so his slides were fascinating yeah well, that's different to but some Burke showed me in second hand hand, yeah showed me a second hand tragedy hip gig on their iPad <laughs> just be Tragically boring, wouldn't it? Well, I know the TV angles may have had this try covered, but look at this. <laughs> well, that's what it was really like. There's a comic called Fergus Craig. I retweeted it. We put a clip of someone under 30 celebrating a goal. <laughs> He's just dancing around, looking at his phone. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, man, it's so true. Yeah. What are you doing? I, I, I can't stand seeing that stuff at sporting events and gigs. Do you know the other thing it does? It's spoilt sports photography. So when you look at photos of iconic goals up to the smartphone, camera phone age, especially if the striker or whoever scored the goal is in front of their own fans, it will just be this mass of ecstatic humanity. Whereas now it's 70% ecstatic humanity, 30% trying to get a good camera angle. And it's really ruined those photos. Well, I was trying to have a good look at that tiny peckered bloke dancing with his cock and balls out um, tiny the game. not all normal yeah I mean you, you call <laughs> yeah. you, you're one man's tiny no, I, I, I actually think in the, in the current current environment where yeah where I'm body shaming where, yeah. yeah 
I actually yeah. think we're sort of uh, expectations are actually so unrealistic because of the pernicious porn industry. I think it was nice to see someone with a very normal okay. penis. Normal size, normal. normal to large size yeah. penis. <laughs> a man with a perfectly normal one centimetre yeah, penis. Because. Yes. Because right. of unrealistic expectations that are foisted upon us, we now think that that is weird. Whereas in reality, it's very, very normal. Which is why he felt brave enough to take it out yeah. on yeah. Wembley Way in front of forty thousand other people. If if en- if anything, he's standing up for the the. I mean, not not. I was going to say those of us, but yeah, those yeah. People. I mean, I mean he's, he's standing people. up for normal penis men everywhere. Yes. Yeah. Well, not standing up. <laughs> Well, tip of the hat to him for that. But um, what I found the funniest thing about that video yeah. is the sheer number of people trying to video yeah. it. <laughs> there must be a thousand men there, 900 of which have got their phone on. Yeah. Desperately trying to get it on Twitter first. Did people do that after the 66 World Cup final? I don't think they did. Everyone had a shirt and tie on. If you look at crowd shots yeah. from Wembley. There are very few small penis shots that I've normal seen. Normal penis shots from, from Wembley. Normal penis shots that I've seen from 1966. <laughs> I think, I think well, because you couldn't get them developed in those yeah. days, could you? you just to That's boots. a fair point, That's actually. Yeah. I, think, yeah. I think one bloke... There could have been loads. We wouldn't get them back. One, I think one bloke... There'll be some boots developed from the 60s. We've got thousands got of them. Loads of them. Be like, Robin, be like fucking Robin yeah. Williams' house. Just yeah, the Charing Cross Jessup. So I should point out, I'm not saying Robin Williams is not a pervert. I'm just saying that he's in a film yeah. where he, de- he develops... Uh, it's a really good film, that is. Develops photographs. Yeah, it is. It's good. Because yeah. you, you do actually empathise with them, yeah. don't you? yeah. Yeah, but it's very sure restrained, were. Wembley in '66. Oh yeah, no one, no one's, no one's, you know, taking gack off the back of their hand <laughs> <laughs> on TikTok. My mate Simon uh, Blanks, we've met before. I've mentioned him, full name as well. Yeah, um, his party piece always. If he ever found a camera, yeah, especially is. is his real party piece was the disposable cameras at weddings and stuff yes. and parties. Cock and balls. When there'd be one, yeah. He'd always yes. grab, but he would grab it quite violently, his own cock and balls, <laughs> right? And pull them like a like a bouquet of flowers until there was just the two the two testicles, very very tight. Mm. Yeah. And then and he was ginger anyway, so they were usually they were quite they were quite I've seen them up close. They're very bright red his testicles anyway. Yeah. He then photographed that, and then put the camera back. Lovely. Just the testicles and not his. Penis. No, you just grab the cock. Just grab. Yeah, you wouldn't grab the penis. Mm. You would just grab the balls and sort of pull the sack up tight. Lovely. Right. And then take the photograph. And he thought that was hilarious. He did it. He did it at every party we ever went to. <laughs> and in hindsight, it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's Mr. Calzaghi. I think I watched it on Prime. Yeah, I watched I it on Prime. Yeah. Yeah. Amazon it's Prime. Free on and, Prime. Uh, yeah. It is. Yeah. I like thoroughly recommend it. I'll stick a link to the Prime version of it into the episode description. You can crack on. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Righty, this is the time where we say goodbye to some of you. Okay, so if you are not Patreon members, 
This is where you leave us. And goodbye. you have some, goodbye. That's all I'm saying. That's it. Goodbye. <laughs> and you get some adverts, and then you will get the book for this week. But you will not get the second round of clips because that's how it works. If you pay for the Patreon, you have the second round of clips headed your way in just a minute or two. For those of you, I wouldn't give them all the first round of clips either. But that's just I, me. you wouldn't give them anything. I know. So patreon.com slash distant pod is where you can go. Bunch of different levels of it. Um, Michael Owen's movie club, we rarely kind of actually talk about on this pod. But there is oh, yeah. a sort of sister podcast to this one, which is about sports movies. And we do one a month. And if you're on the top two levels of the Patreon, you get that every month. Yeah. So you don't only get additional content to the podcast, you get an extra podcast. And all the previous ones as well. Yeah, all the previous episodes are there of Michael Owen's Movie Club. So if you want to hear us not really talking about Rocky Three, not yeah. really talking about Escape to Victory or Karate Kid. Or Rollerball. Rollerball. Then you can go back through those as well. So there is a lot of content for you there. If you head over to patreon.com slash And all the second halves you've missed. All of those second halves. Yes, good point. All of the episodes prior to this. All of the previous episodes where we were giving you the second half, there is still half an hour of extra content on those as well. Spread oh, yeah. across the episodes. So from episode 17 onwards, right the way through to now, which is, what are we on? 68. So there's 51 episodes... There's 51 a smorgasbord. where there is at least half an hour of extra stuff for you. It's like a, there's more than a day of content that you haven't heard before that is waiting for you over at patreon.com. See, this is a positive one. This is a positive promo for once. Not going to focus on the negatives. Well, not, there I'm is good nothing. stuff there. All you need to do is pay a pound a week. And there is stuff there for you. So head over there. Or don't, and listen to the adverts, and there is a book review coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry. Also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Right, let's wrap things up uh, for this week with uh, the book choice, which uh, falls to me this time round. And this is a guy we've mentioned quite a bit on the podcast down the years, Eddie Hearn, who's the guy in charge of Matchroom. Um, he's written a book called relentless 12 rounds to success um, and my immediate thought process when I saw that was have a really rich dad because Eddie Hearn is obviously Barry Hearn's boy yeah. so your business advice to anybody is null and void straight away and then I read it it's really good it's it's really interesting story of a rich kid mm. who grows up being the dick that you would assume the really rich kid whose dad was Barry Hearn was, <laughs> where he would get his dad to pick him up from private school in the massive car that went before limousines were a thing. He'd get the matchroom limousine to pick him up from school and his mates and just be flash. Um, 
But I think he sort of realises then when he flunks out of his A-levels first time round and he goes to like the local community college and then his mates stop turning up for lessons and he sits down with the teacher and goes, so what happens if I don't come to lessons? And the teacher goes, we don't care. You won't get any A-levels. Don't come. Yeah. Your choice. And he kind of realises then that he has to make decisions in life for himself and kind of... That's why teaching sixth form, like in the last school that I was in, when I was at Willows, there was no sixth form. And there's not a lot of sixth forms in Cardiff schools. But I was teaching in Bath, in Culver Hay, which is no longer there. There was, um, there was a sixth form. Right. It's such a different vibe yeah, in sixth yeah. form. Well, yeah. Because, because you know, the people choo- A, people are choosing to be there. Yeah. And B, you can kick them out. <laughs> but that's the, it, it's that moment of growing up, isn't it? Of going from yeah. being spoon-fed or having to be somewhere and therefore going to your mate's house to watch Jeopardy rather than turning up for lessons. I panicked. I mean, I, all my mates left, well, the vast majority of my friends left school at 16 because they weren't overly academic. Well, I was top set for everything, but... Always going on A bit of a dick. And well, I, I do always go on about it because people assume if you're a bit of a dick that you're thick. And I wasn't thick or far from it. But, um, you were a dick. But I was a bit yeah. of a dick. And that, then all my mates left because yeah. they were dicks and a bit thick. <laughs> so then I just left with... It was just me and the, and the boys who weren't dicks. Yeah. And, you know, with the exception of one, I was probably... Borderline dick? Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, I was going to say intelligence. Oh. There was one bloke there more intelligent than me. Yeah. A fellow called Steve Smith. I believe Steve listens to the podcast. He lives in the States now. Um, but Steve was probably the most intelligent kid in Britain. So I was fine with being second to Steve. That was all right. That's good. It's good that you had the little yeah. league table to quantify it by. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he got five A's at A level, you know, and sort yeah. of. I didn't. I didn't want to leave school because I didn't want to be in the real world. It seemed frightening. Yeah. yeah. Made sure I get apprenticeships and getting jobs. Oh shit! What can I do? This not that. So I stayed on in sixth form. Didn't like it because my mates weren't there, and realised that you cannot. You can dick around and, and get an A in GCSE. I shouldn't say that as a teacher, well, right? Yeah. An ex teacher, but it, it can be done. I know that because I did it. You cannot dick around and get above an F at A level. <laughs> I know that as well. Yeah, I, I hope my kids don't hear this, but you can, you can dick around and get good grades at GCSE. Yes. I mean, I didn't do enough to warrant the grades I got, which does make which does make me wonder. Imagine if I'd worked really hard. But A levels is it? Yeah, it's a step up. It's um, it's Championship to Premier League. Your yeah. degree is Premier League to Champions League. My my, my degree was was, was no. uh, Premier League to yeah, sort of League you, of Wales. You did Fickle's choice, didn't you? <laughs> Yeah, the wooden I, I, top's I mean, choice. Guilty, but that's why for me it was an absolute piece of piss doing a degree because I was intelligent, and I once again was it was in the loving embrace of a bunch of thickies. It was wonderful. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you do sport and human movement studies, you know they, they, this is my crew. The loving embrace of the thickies. This is my crew. <laughs> the loving embrace of the thickies again. And once that. again, I was I was you know in the kingdom of the blind man, the one-eyed man is king. And I was go back to Eddie Hearn. I mean, A, a level is different. Yeah, and he realizes then that, you know, being Barry Hearn's son has been brilliant up to that point, because you know it means he can just show off. It would be fun being because you, you are a dick and you're a teenager as well. Yeah, and he's quite honest about that as well. If I could have gone home in a fucking stretch limousine when I was sixteen, I would have believe me. Oh, I'd have hated it. I'd have been too embarrassed. Oh, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be, but maybe if I'd grown up around yeah, him, that's what I mean. you would know the difference. To it. That's the thing. So if you're permanently ringside you while you banks coming, Chris Eubanks coming off a Sunday dinner and stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Naz, yeah, I know Naz. Yeah, yeah, he's a good lad. But 
I think that he then realizes that he wants to try and make something of himself yeah. for himself, which is quite an interesting dynamic then, because everywhere he goes, he wants to work in some kind of marketing business. So he set, he starts selling windows, double glazing, and realizing that people really don't want to. He'd have been a superb double glazer. I wouldn't. Have you seen the? Is it the white stuff? What's that sitcom that was out? And the second series is better than the first. Yeah, but Eddie Herm would have been bang on I, there. Good looking, gift of the cab. Wherever he goes within the sports industry, people are like, "You're you're Barry's boy, are you?" But he sort of he starts to ignore that, starts to build his own reputation, gets a load of golfers on board, and builds up the matchroom business with golf. Gets into poker, sort of reasonably early on, yeah, and gets all of that Must on. Must have made a killing there. Like Channel 4, Channel 5, and Sky, I think he was doing shows for, and gets all of that sorted. When um, you get poker on Sky Sports, you've done well, because you're playing cards on a sports channel. <laughs> <laughs> it's like having Gin Rummy on Eurosport. <laughs> <laughs> Snap on BBC Sport app. <laughs> Welcome to the World Uno Championships here on BBC yeah. Sports. There's more skill in Snap, because it's, it's at least it's reflexes. That's true. You've got to get your hand in there first. Yeah. yeah Snap true. is more sporty than poker, and poker's on Sky Sports. Whist live. <laughs> snap. Live snap. From Alexandra Palace. Could <laughs> be great. Get some cheerleaders. Oh, yeah, a little dolly. Lovely little. I must not be in sex. Some walk on music. Not Whist men, on not Sky boys. Sports, and it's live. Male or female dolly leading me to the, the arena. To the little trestle table. Mike is the four-time champion of the world. Like Elvis, I come on to Oslo Sprax Zarathustra, the 2001 Space Odyssey thing. Oh, nice. Just with a big cape on, lights behind you, silhouette form. Yeah, just doing the hand thing in silhouette form. Practicing it, yeah. Yeah, like do the shadow boxing. You're just going... I'd come on to Shut Up Your Face by Joe Dolphin. Of course, the one we're all missing the trick on is Crocodile Rock. You can be known as like Ellis the Crocodile yeah. James. Have a Russian there, have a Russian there called Igor the Red Snapper Romanov. <laughs> and he's just got a fish on the back of his cloak. Eddie, if you're listening, yeah. we can make this work. Ellis Notorious James. I'd go in with me. Mike Money Bubbins. Check this. I strolled in there. I got tops off Vic on one side. Yes. But he's wearing um, brown paper underpants. So he's like Paul Bearer. To your undertaker. Brown paper underpants on. I got my dad on the other side and I would just snap, crackle and pop. Nice. Good. How was that? Lovely. Imagine, imagine the Welsh Wrestling public getting behind. Snap. The Welsh public getting behind yeah. a snap champion. I would. Wales, Wales, yeah. Wales. Don't take me home. <laughs> Please don't take me home. I just don't want to go to Snap. <laughs> <laughs> Bubbins, Bubbins, Bubbins. <laughs> Tony Wan, Bubbins. We... Viva Mike Bubbins. Viva Michael Bubbins. Said he had a bad back. Because he fucking loves Snap. Viva Michael Bubbins. See, we're laughing, right? Eddie Hearn has done this with poker to Sky Sports. <laughs> yeah. Got it on the actual telly. Eddie, if you're listening, mate, if you want to do the Snap thing, hit us up. Because... We could do this, Ed. He then... Does boxing because well, obviously Barry was involved in it. Got moved out of the business, decided it wasn't profitable because the darts and the snooker were. So Eddie decides, well, all the stuff you're saying there, he brings back to boxing. 
Yeah. So whereas it was just your local leisure centre, let's move those swinger couples who are playing badminton out for the night, mm. put a ring in there, stick it on telly with empty seats. It's yeah. That was on Sky, that was on ITV, and then he goes, right, ring walks, let's get this working, let's get a proper show. Duke McKenzie, mm. three-time world champion, because I used to go to his gym, he had the posters for all his fights up, and it is amazing how unglamorous the oh. venues are. Elephant and Castle, Leisure Centre, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Well, uh, Joe, a couple of the shots in the documentary from earlier uh, were in Star Leisure Centre in Splot. Yeah. Because a yeah, lot of yeah. Joe's early fights were there. Yeah, Steve Robinson fought Duke McKenzie, the ice drink in Cardiff. This goes back to the right of the start of the pod with, with Connor. This is what I'm saying. You can be entertaining and bums on seats and razzmatazz and showbiz and build everything up. And you can do that in a way that isn't. Have a rivalry, of course. That's what, that's yeah. what sport is. But you haven't got to be an ass about it, have you? I don't think. There's a great story in this of how um, he meets Audley Harrison mm. when Audley's on the sort of downward part of his career. And he says, get me back into boxing. And then he's like, I don't really do the boxing, I do the poker. And he's like, come on, get me, get me into it. Well, so he gets well, in. like a snap. Yeah. He, <laughs> I've got an idea. <laughs> yeah, he gets him in a prize fighter. He wins prize fighter. Gets him a uh, European title shot. Absolutely outboxed for the entire thing and then swings one from nowhere and wins it. Mm. And then gets him a world title fight Crazy. against um, David Hay. And he absolutely stinks the place out and doesn't throw a punch and gets knocked out. And then... Fraudly. Yeah, he sat next to his dad ringside. And his dad that goes... a terrible fight, that was. You were, you, you were quite quick to get into the ring when he was winning. You've got to get in the ring now and front it out. Bang on And he well. does. Yeah, Fair and play. he gets in there, fronts it out. And that's sort of what you're talking about there, of having the balls when your man loses as much as when your man wins. He's a deeply charismatic bloke, Eddie. Huh? I only worked with him once. I did a Zoom thing in lockdown. Yeah, I did a Zoom thing. And he was, yeah... Well. You managed to be charismatic through a Zoom call, which is hard. None of us have ever managed it. No, no. <laughs> yeah. 18 months of trying. <laughs> Still no joy. I, yeah, I've met him a couple of times and yeah, really like his company. He always talks to you like he remembers you, even though I've no doubt he doesn't. But So what's the yeah, book, like how far up does the book go until when? It's, it's right the way up until lockdown because it's it's kind of he's obviously it's called relentless and it's about how much energy you have to put into things. But I think as he's writing it, lockdown happens. Well, I think that's it, it has influenced the book definitely because I think that he goes from being you have to put everything into this. It has to be your, your passion. You have to find what you want in life. Of course, your family's important. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's those sort of moments of reflection, sort mm. of that someone has during lockdown, <laughs> which I quite like as well. So it's got a bit more of a handle, I think, on life as well as it. But yeah, it's just really well written and well worth it. But like I said, my initial reaction was, I don't want business advice or life advice from someone who's had a silver spoon in his mouth. I, but that's a I, bad attitude to have. Yeah. I'd be very interested to hear Barry's story, actually, because I'm assuming Barry didn't come from a no, wealthy no, family. No, he's, he's, he's self-made. He's boy, isn't he? Started washing cars on the local estate, from what I remember of his story, from hearing him yeah. interviewed. I'm always, I love rags to riches stories. Just built it up, built it up, and started hanging out in snooker halls, took over the local snooker hall, and then one day met Steve Davis. Coming yeah. into his oh, local wow. snooker hall, I got to pick that film. Right, rem- remind me to pick that as my next film. Good film, isn't it? It's a fucking brilliant film. Yeah, I never had that entrepreneurial streak. I never, I never, I've never had it. My son, because <laughs> they're finishing primary school this week, and I've been really emotional all week about it. How good is this? So they had to do a little 
write a few bits about memories they got from from their time in primary school. Okay. He went on a PGL trip, like an outward bound sort of thing, you know. Yeah. Down to um, which the, one of the ones in Wales? In, no, it wasn't in Wales. It was up on the borders, up on near Oswestry. <laughs> a lot of the parents were complaining that their kids had come home with the wrong stuff, or they didn't have their suitcase, or they had the wrong shorts and the wrong shoes. Oh, God. So Ben had been because at the last day they were to pack your suitcases to come back to school. Yeah. The kids can't be asked to do that sort of thing, can they? No, absolutely not. So Ben was charging fifty pence per suitcase. Oh, I like that. To pack other people's suitcases from. But he was just Brilliant. chucking whatever he could find in whatever suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> you had shorts, here's some shorts. <laughs> Good lad. He can get in on the snap action. You will break my heart. You will break my heart of hearts. I remember it's when it's I was... Getting, it's getting a can it, of heck I don't know, nine or ten. <laughs> we went uh, to Pendine. Did you ever go camping in Pendine when you were at school? And we were there for a week. I remember uh, when, when, my, when I came home, my mum unpacked my case or my bag. And obviously I just stuffed everything in like little kids do, but the towels were really <laughs> were really neatly rolled up at the bottom. And she said, that's funny, why did you roll up your towels so neatly but you didn't bother with anything else? I was like nine or something. I said, oh, I didn't use the towels. If I had a wet face, I would just dry my face on my sleeve. <laughs> I had a bath or a shower for six days. amazing. Train her off the T-shirt, the wearing. <laughs> Right, that's us for this week. Uh, we will have another one of these for you. Yeah, seven days, as usual. Turn four. We'll be back in seven more days. Bye.